0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you, Joan Esposito. All ready for this on WCPT eight twenty.
1: Hello, thank you for being here this holiday. Well, it's a holiday for a lot of people, anyway. Um, I am so glad to be back with you again. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. However, you celebrated, I hope you had a. Pleasant, satisfying New Year's celebration. New Year's is, um, well, most New Year's, frankly. <laughs> when I was young, I worked almost every New Year's and then my kids were little and I didn't go anywhere after that. So New Year's has never been a huge holiday, uh, for me. I've always, uh, just stayed home and kind of kept things quiet. My my parents used to do that too. My mom and dad always used to tell me when I would be like, "Well, why are you going out?" And they would say, "Nope. Nope. New Year's Eve is when the amateurs go out. <laughs> too many amateur drinkers out there. It's a it's a good day to stay close to home." So that's what I did. I saw an interesting um kind of one, you know, everybody's doing those best of and, you know, what are your resolutions? And I saw an interesting article that stood out from the rest. It said that maybe for 2023, you should ask yourself, what do you value? On the surface, you know, you could answer just very glibly, you know, I value my family, my friends. But if you dig a little deeper, it's a really, really interesting question Even if your answer is, you know, I really value all my good friends, what is it about those relationships that sustains you or nurtures you or brings you joy? It's something that I've been thinking a lot about the last few days, and I hope I continue to think about that question going forward throughout the next year, because I don't want to waste time on activities and people and places that are not important, that don't bring some significance to me or to others. You know, life is uh, too short to spend time in activities that bring you no joy. Maybe... Maybe you have to reach a certain age to be philosophical like that, or maybe you just have to have enough challenges in your life. And uh, by the time you're middle-aged or older, we've all had challenges. And I think it's a really important. When I was diagnosed with cancer in 2006, you know, you always you know, see these things like, oh, you know, I want to get out and see another sunrise. I could have cared less about the sunrises or the sunsets. All I cared about when I was diagnosed with cancer, all I cared about was my children. The rest of the world just fell away. It really did. That was, it brought things into a laser-like focus. And, you know, unless you're faced with a crisis like that, most of us kind of just go into, you know, just sort of regular life mode. You know what I mean? Where, you know, oh, we got to get groceries. Oh, I got to do this. I got to pay those bills. It's just so easy to get distracted by the minutia. And hopefully it won't take another life crisis. But it really is worth taking the time to think deeply about what you value. Because if you, if you can identify what you value, then you know whether or not you are living the life that fits. Not doing something for a reason that isn't important. Anyway. That's my little bit of philosophy for 2023. My goal for 2023 is to live a life that reflects what I value and the people I value and the activities I value. As you know from listening to this show, one of the things I value is democracy. And I'd like us all to rededicate ourselves to doing whatever it takes to make sure democracy comes out on top, because this battle is far from over. We had a great showing in the midterms. We had a great showing in the midterms. But we still have states with hideous abortion restrictions. We still have Republicans talking about making women's lives less free and smaller. We still have people who are trying to take control of school boards and make sure that nothing is taught about gay people or race relations or the real history of the United States. We still have battles to fight. You had the holidays. I'm sure you took a breath. Had some fun. Now in 2023, it is time for us to rededicate ourselves to democracy and whatever small portion of it we can work on, we can work for, we can help fix. Depending upon your life situation, depending upon your resources, that answer is going to be different for everybody. But if you care enough to listen to this radio station, I don't care what the answer is as long as there is an answer. Listening to this radio station is great. It's, it's great. It will keep you informed on the issues you need to know about. But I'd like you to do a little more. You know, listening to me and Tom Hartman and Stephanie and Patty and Santita It's great, but it's kind of passive, and I'd like you in 2023 to figure out what is the active thing that you can do. Whatever it is, supporting a candidate, supporting an organization, supporting a party, a local group, a state group, a national group. Figure out what it is that you can do. We're all going to do something together. We're going to live a life that matters a life that reflects our values and forwards, supports, nurtures our values. Okay, enough uh, <laughs> enough philosophizing. I uh, hope you're having a great holiday. As I said, a lot of people have today off, which means just sit back, turn on the radio, open up your computer, listen to us online. And um, we hope... That you are looking for a great 2023. Lots of stories in just the one week I was off. We got Trump's tax returns. Pope Emeritus Benedict died. Southwest Airlines nearly died. And Barbara Walters passed. Pope Benedict and Barbara Walters, you know, usually it, it, you don't get to. Hugely influential people dying so close to each other. At least it doesn't seem that way. 65,000 people have so far walked by the coffin on display of uh, Pope Benedict. It's interesting. In the articles that I've been reading about, you know, why he abdicated and uh, I haven't seen at the time he abdicated, there were rumors that he was suffering from Alzheimer's disease. Cause you know, popes generally don't, don't step back. They don't resign the post. It is a lifetime commitment. There were a lot of rumors swirling back then that he had Alzheimer's. But, um, in everything that I've read surrounding his death, they made it sound like he was just, well, you know, I'm really old and time for some young blood, which kind of doesn't ring true. I mean, that's, you know, that's generally not what happens. But I would assume that if he had some sort of um, illness or, or mental impairment, that now that he is deceased, somebody would be talking about that. So who knows? but he was one of the few popes in Roman Catholic history to ever willingly walk away from the papacy. And then there was Barbara Walters. Legendary Barbara Walters, who reinvented herself more times than you can count. I don't know how much you know about her, but... To describe her as a trailblazer is almost not giving her enough credit. She was told when, when, when she was working behind the scenes at NBC, she was told that, A, you know, women were not really, um, authoritative on television. She was told she was too unattractive to be on television. She was basically told that pretty much everything about her was wrong. And she pursued and pushed. She pushed herself and she was wildly successful. She did things that nobody else did. She, you know, she started hosting a major network show, The Today Show. She was the first woman to co-anchor a nightly evening news broadcast. Remember, she was so popular. This woman who was too unattractive and too everything to to be on television. No, we can't have you. She became so popular that ABC lured her away at the time. She was the highest paid broadcaster in the country. ABC offered her a salary of a million dollars a year to co-anchor. And by all accounts, you know, sometimes management will hire somebody. Like when Katie Couric was hired by Les Moonves to be the anchor at CBS, again, because she was wildly popular on the Today Show. Lots of times the rank and file do not embrace these people. Barbara Walters was not embraced. At ABC News, Katie Couric said that if she had known what she was walking into at CBS, CBS, even during my era, CBS had a reputation of being a boys club. Katie Couric said if she'd have known what she was walking into, she never, ever would have taken the job. Barbara Walters walked into a similar buzzsaw. So her stint as a co-anchor on the evening news didn't last as long as perhaps it could have or should have Um, And then she reinvented herself again. She created the view. This radical idea of a bunch of women sitting around talking about things that were important to women and families and folks in general. And that's to say nothing of her celebrity interviews. Um, She was famous for getting the rich and famous to sit down with her. Um, I mean, she was the go to if you Christopher Reeve, after he had his accident where he was a, became a quadriplegic. Gave his first interview to Barbara Walters, Monica Lewinsky, after the whole debacle with Bill Clinton, she when she sat down, she sat down with Barbara Walters. I don't know. I mean, we you know. Television is pretty splintered now. Certainly we see Christine Amanpour, who does a lot of the news and political interviews. Diane Sawyer still comes back into town to do a lot of the celebrity interviews. But Barbara Walters did it all. We, um, I don't know that we'll see another Barbara Walters. She, uh, her family didn't say why she died but the rumors that she had been in ill health had been around for quite a while. She officially retired. Well, some some sources say 2014, some say 2015. Um, so she's been out of the limelight for a while. <clears throat> and there were rumors that she was having a lot of health issues, but her family did not announce a cause of death. Well, she was 93. So... Pretty amazing, huh? Uh, We are going to take a break uh, and get back into our political groove right after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: So, over the week I was off, we got a look at Mr. Trump's tax returns. Was there really anything in there that shocked you? Um, That he didn't pay... In some years, he paid absolutely no tax at all. In some years, he paid more tax to foreign governments than he paid to ours. I mean, anybody who's been paying attention, anybody who's not part of the Trump cult, already knows that the guy is full of hot air, that he's never been as rich as he said he was. He's never been as successful as he's claimed to be. As a matter of fact, the interesting thing about the tax returns, he um, had more income in the years he was president than he'd had before. No wonder he's running for re-election. You know, and he made a big deal about, oh, I'm so wealthy, I'm not going to take the presidential salary. Well, you know what? When every government agency that's um, holding a meeting holds it at a Trump property when all of the people who want to curry favor came to Washington and stayed in what was then the Trump Hotel, when um, military personnel who had to overnight drove miles out of their way, like, say, in Scotland, to stay at the Trump property rather than someplace closer and cheaper. Being president was the best grift of his life. So uh, what do his tax returns show us? Losses, 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 and more losses. That's what you do to bring your, your tax down. Oh, it's offset by this loss. So I um, I am glad that the courts ruled that these had to be released. You know, every other every other president has done this just on their own. He was like the first president to say, "Ah, you know, tech, no, nobody needs to see my tax returns. Nobody really needs to know." Okay, all right. But it's it's pretty much if you had had to guess two months ago what his taxes would reveal, it's pretty much what they showed us. Uh, Twenty sixteen, he paid seven hundred dollars, seven hundred and fifty dollars in taxes, and there were years where he got refunds because of you know those losses. And that's actually part of why the Trump organization was found to be um, a um, questionable undertaking. Um one of the things he's being investigated for is he goes to the bank. If he's going to the bank for a loan, all of his all of his um properties are worth a gazillion dollars. But when it comes time to turn around and pay taxes, oh they're really not worth anything. They're all losers. It's the Trump scam. And the and his taxes just corroborate that. I was a little bit disappointed. I was hoping there'd be at least one or two bombshells like oh You know, $100,000 in income from Vladimir Putin. I know. I know. Nothing. Nothing realistic to expect there. But. um, I think. I think that it was just like I think that Trump needs to be indicted, but unlike a lot of the other experts I've talked to at the end of twenty twenty two. I do not think he will be convicted. But that doesn't matter. The very act of indicting him, pick choose obstruction, collusion, sedition, I don't care. He needs to be indicted. He needs to go to court. That will destroy this weird idea in some people's head that somehow... If you are a current or former president, you are untouchable. We need to destroy that idea that anybody is above the law. And I know that this will disappoint a lot of people, but whether or not he is convicted, we will have something important. We will have established that the rule of law applies to everyone. That's the important thing. so we wait to see whether or not he's indicted. I don't see anything on these tax returns that would necessarily drag him into court, but we've got plenty of other information. Yes, we do. Plenty of other information. Like, you know, uh, the recommendations from the January 6th committee. Here's here's a bunch of things we should we think he should be charged with. Okay, DOJ, we're going to put this all up in a box, put a bow on it and have it delivered to your doorstep. Um, I don't think we're going to get any warning. You know, Merrick Garland set Jack Smith to be the special, special guy looking into all this stuff, the guy who's going to decide whether or not there are charges. I don't think from what I've read about this guy, we're going to get any warning. I think we are simply going to wake up one morning and discover that Jack Smith has decided what he's doing. And it will be, you know, it'll be obviously the huge news of the day. But I don't um I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy, you know, some some. Lawmakers, they like send out little hints of what they're doing, and they, it's almost like they kind of want to see the feedback. Does this go over well? Because if it does, I'll, I'll keep moving in this direction, but if it doesn't, maybe I'll go somewhere else. I don't think Jack Smith is that kind of guy. I think we're going to wake up one morning and boom, it's going to be there. And for those of you who had to travel over the holiday weekend, I am so sorry. <laughs> and it wasn't just Southwest. Yes, yeah, Southwest canceled. At one, point, at one point, it was 50% of their flights, but it grew from there. Even United, Ray's son, was trying to get back to L.A. It took him a week. United kept canceling his flights, rescheduling for him for two days later, canceling that one, rescheduling for two days later. Tomorrow, Joe Brancatelli, who does the business travel newsletter Joe sent me, he's going to join us, and we're going to talk about what happened and why but there was a fascinating thread i saw it actually on facebook of a pilot who used to work for southwest and the the post goes on for pages and pages but let me summarize you know what he's saying is he flew he spent his career at southwest he loved southwest but not the current ceo but the ceo before this one who was in the position for 10 or 11 years he was a bean counter Not somebody who really understood how things worked, not somebody who ever went out and, you know, saw the nitty gritty of what the flight attendants and the pilots and the technicians and the suitcase people were working with. He was a bean counter. And being a bean counter and only caring about numbers in the bottom line, the pilot said that there were lots of technical upgrades that never happened, lots of upkeep that didn't happen or was delayed because it saves money. We're going to check this every six months. Well, you know, if we checked that every eight months, we would save X amount of dollars. And, you know, if we only checked it once a year, we'd save twice that. Bean counters. Bean counters. And he said in the 10-year tenure under this guy, people who were working the front lines were begging for upgrades and corrections to software and hardware they saw these problems coming down the road and after 10 years this guy leaves and a new guy comes in and started to try to fix this like a year and a half two years ago but you know the pilot said it takes time this isn't a quick turnaround this has been 10 11 years of neglect And they knew that their systems had these vulnerabilities, that the the systems could crash, that the personnel might not end up where they needed to be. And so what the pilot was saying was, please forgive us. Give us a second chance. The guy who's in charge now is doing it right. But he has 11 years worth of neglect to try to fix. We'll see what Joe thinks about that tomorrow when we talk to him. Um, let's take a break and uh, let's switch to local politics when we come right back after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: We have a mayoral election coming up in about 15 minutes. No, actually, it's February 28th. So we've we've got some time, not much time, but we've got some time. Uh Plus, the Chicago City Council has been forging ahead with some important programs. Alderman Gilbert Villegas, uh joins us now uh to talk about the City Council of 2022 and 2023 and what we can look forward to. Alderman, thank you so much for being here today.
2: Thank you, Joan. How are you doing? And Happy New Year to you and your
3: listeners.
1: Happy New Year to you, too. What, um, aside, let's set the mayoral election just off to the side for a second. What are you looking forward to for this coming year, whether it's personal or whether it's political? We'll take any answer.
2: (laughs) That's good. Well, it'll be a little bit of both. So here, politically, I think that um, what we're going to see is uh, a more, uh, I'm hoping for a more independent city council. I know that there's some uh, discussions that are occurring uh, amongst, civic leaders uh, that want to see the city of Chicago finally have a city charter, uh, which would set forward uh, the rules of engagement and how the city council uh, will govern Uh, similar to large cities. I sit on, I sit on a national board in the executive committee called the national league of cities. It's a nonpartisan group that uh, speaks, um, that that has um, that's represented by large cities, small cities throughout the country. And Chicago is one of the only top 10 cities that doesn't have a structure uh, that really puts forward a check and balance, similar to what you have in Springfield, Washington, D.C., et cetera, (laughs) um, where they have like a speaker of the city council, a president of the city council, like New York, L.A., Philly, Boston, Houston.
1: What would be the advantages of a system like that?
2: Well, the, the advantage is, is that um, you would have the defining the, the check on the executive branch. Uh, right now, in theory, on paper, uh, that exists. But as you know, um, it's supposed to be a, a strong council, weak mayor. Um, mm-hmm. But in the past, I don't know, five, six decades, it's been the reverse. Uh, and that's just because of the fact that there isn't a um, uh, there isn't a, a governing structure that's that's been codified that really spells how the city council will act. And I think that um, having a city charter will, will mandate and dictate uh, how the city council will be structured. And quite frankly, it, 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 it puts the legislative uh, authority and the legislative power back into the city council. So that way there is that, that check on, on the executive branch.
1: How would we bring about a, a city charter? Would it have to be a ballot measure?
2: Uh, it's actually, it's just legislation down in Springfield. Um, That would um, that would um, uh, that would be introduced and passed and signed into law and then uh, moving forward in probably the next election or even uh, depending on how it was written, um, would would uh, would put forward legislation that would uh, tell the city council how to operate.
1: So So the city charter itself. would not only be created by legislation in Springfield, would the lawmakers in Springfield write the city charter or would the, they just simply pass laws that allowed the city council to write the charter?
2: No, well, the, the legislators will will pass the legislation, obviously with input from um, city councils, civic leaders, et cetera. This, again, there's people that are have been discussing this for a little <laughs> while um, and we hope that Finally, in 2023, that this gets introduced um, so that we can try to get this passed. Uh, but, yeah, the legislators will pass it. And then uh, moving forward, we would have um, a, a way for the city council to you know, be codified as to how to govern. Um, right now, like, like I said, in, in most large cities, uh, these charters exist. Chicago is one of the top ten cities that doesn't have this charter.
1: Hmm. Okay. Um, so I sort of spent a, a little... A uh, bit of time digging into that. I I interrupted your flow. What else would you like to see happen?
2: Uh, well, I, what I want to see is uh, us finally, finally, finally turning this corner uh, on COVID, and um, and really our, our lives getting back to to normal. Seeing uh, people returning back to the office space. Uh, I'm not, it's not going to be back to the 2019 uh, pre-pandemic levels because. We see that um, uh, businesses are, uh, I should say employers, employees rather, um, like the um, work from home option. And I think that employers are going to have to uh, have a a hybrid model um, that that puts forward um, a work from home option uh, in order to entice talent. Uh, We want to see people coming back downtown, uh, coming back to Chicago, spending money, uh, increasing tourism, et cetera. looking forward to um, hoping that we finally you.
1: Well you're talking to a woman who um <clears throat> in December had covid for the third time. Um I wasn't ho- I didn't need to be hospitalized. I wasn't in trouble, but um but I was I was sick with it um all three times. My attitude is that we're never going to put covid in the rearview mirror. I think we're going to if everybody can get out and get that bivalent we're gonna we're gonna make it manageable, uh, but I think I'm beginning to think that I will never escape it. I'm now in st- in 2023. I'm not saying I will. You know, this is going to be COVID free. I'm just saying I would like to be COVID free for a few months before I get it again.
4: <laughs>
2: yeah, and, and, and let me let me let me clarify when I say uh, out of this pandemic. I mean it's here to stay, but I mean I guess uh, us learning how to deal with it. Uh, you know, people. Um, listening to science uh, people making, you know, taking it seriously and then, and then allowing us the ability to, to um, uh, come back to some type of normalcy uh, based on, based on the, the variance.
1: <coughs> I know that you are going to be on the ballot this uh, February 28th. Um, how, what have you been doing to get out and campaign?
2: Well, I can tell you that um, I, I, Got some new areas in my ward, and so I've been introducing myself. And so, as a result of that, um, been uh, going to many um, during the summer. Spent a lot of time at block parties, uh, which are a great opportunity to meet folks um, in in a in a calm environment where um, you know people are happy celebrating. At the same time, um, I'm able to listen to and engage with the voters as to what are some of the issues that are plaguing them in the community. Um, so, knocking on doors. Uh, talking to voters, uh, going to many coffees, um, you know, uh, discuss, uh, social media, text messaging, et cetera. Um, so, um, we've, uh, we've been very busy and we're about 57 days away. So, uh, from February 28th, which seems uh, nuts cause we just feels like we just got out of an, uh, an election in November and here we are, um, less than two months away from, um, uh, the, uh, the first round which would be February 28th. And then, uh, if, um. If folks don't get the fifty percent plus one, there's then there's an April, April six um, runoff that, that would take. Like...
1: April six or April fourth?
2: April fourth. I'm sorry. April fourth. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah I've, well, I've...
2: I, I. I. Go ahead. I'll tell those people that are not. No, I'll tell those people that are not voting for me. April um, six. <laughs>
1: OK, if you're not voting for Gilbert Viegas, the election, the runoff election will be uh, April 6th. So make sure you write that uh, day down. Um, Alderman, we need to take a real quick break. Uh, I'm speaking to um, Alderman Gilbert Villegas, uh, represents uh, Chicago's 36th Ward. We will be back with more right after this.
0: Jonas Pazito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by Chicago alderman Gilbert Villegas. Uh, He represents the 36th ward in Chicago. That includes, let me see if I've got this right, Gilbert, Belmont, Cragan, Galewood, Hermosa, Humboldt Park, Montclair, and Portage Park. Did I leave anybody out?
2: Uh, You left out the uh, West Town Ukrainian Village area.
1: Okay, and West Town Ukrainian Village. That is a really diverse area it would seem with lots of different kinds of people and lots of different needs so how do you help balance all that how do you figure that out
2: right so so what i've i've um uh, since being in office my over two terms two terms um we've we've come to we've come together to find out what are some of the issues and i put together an acronym that really that really puts it into perspective called peace Public safety, education, accountability, city services, and economic development. And so, depending on where you're at in the ward, obviously those those priorities can change. But I can tell you that public safety is uh, first first and foremost at everybody in everybody's uh, mind right now, uh, given some of the challenges that the city's facing. And so, uh, what we've got to do is make sure that uh, we are addressing public safety, uh, addressing uh, the root causes of uh, of, of crime but also making sure that people, there's consequences in place. So it's a balance, you know, you're not mutually exclusive. We can do both, um, and, um, uh, and, and residents of the 36, world, quite frankly, residents of the city, um, you know, that's our job as elected officials is to make sure that we are providing a safe environment. Um, and so that's, that's, um, uh, what I've been focused on my team's been focused on for the past, uh, eight years. Uh, it's making sure that we're dealing with public safety, providing providing a good opportunity for kids to be educated, uh, focusing on investing in schools, making sure that we're accountable to our constituents, uh, making sure that we're delivering on city services and quite, and then, uh, just as important as making sure that we're uh, putting forward economic development. I often say that, you know, the city of Chicago, we don't manufacture the city government, we don't manufacture or sell widgets. We provide a service and we have a monopoly on it. Our job is to make sure that we're providing the services to the best of our ability, as efficient as possible, um, making sure that economic development is occurring so that way revenue can be generated, which in turn uh, funds uh, how government operates.
1: You recently, um, fairly recently, made a run for Congress that was unsuccessful. After something like that, do you think that you have to make a special effort to connect with the people in your ward to Make sure that they understand that you're okay being their alderman and aren't just looking for the next opportunity to do something else.
2: Well, you know, um, what you saw was a, a unique opportunity where um, the General Assembly created a new district, which was going to be uh, Latino um, a plura- Latino plurality. And as a Marine Corps veteran, and given what's transpiring in the country, I thought it was I thought it was important that I take a run at this. Um, and talking to my residents within the ward, uh, they were very, very supportive of it. Unfortunately, uh, didn't receive the votes outside of my ward, uh, because, uh, there was a lot of outside interest groups that came in and I really got a firsthand look as to how, uh, there needs to be some type of campaign campaign finance reform, given the, the, uh, the dark money that came in from Washington DC, over $2 million spent against me, um, because of the fact that they wanted to uh, you know, it, it involve themselves in, 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 the congressional race. Uh, so listen, my, my, my constituents that I've talked to, they've, uh, they've allowed me the, 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 honor of serving as alderman for the past two decades and, um, and listening to them. Um, a lot of them were, were, um, happy that I didn't win because of the the fact that they'll, they'll have their alderman uh, still here. But, you know, given what transpired January 6th, where there was an attempted insurrection and a Marine Corps veteran, you know i took i took an oath to defend this country against all enemies foreign and domestic and that oath doesn't have an expiration date uh and so as a as a as a marine who took an oath i felt it was my obligation uh to step in and try to help congress uh, move forward and get things done right now there's there's a lot of gridlock and i think the reason why is because there's a lot of ideology um and folks that are not willing to compromise and that's not good that's not good for That's not good for democracy. It's not good for the country.
1: This um, money that came into the race from outside sources, was it all to promote Delia Ramirez? Or did it go to, in your opinion, a number of other candidates?
2: No, it was it was strictly just to um, uh, to uh, do negative ads against me. And and they were successful. They They were on TV on broadcast, which is very costly. Um, for for almost uh, almost two months, so it was it was um, um, you know, campaign finance is something that's very important. A lot of a lot of dark money was was uh, uh, was utilized against me, and so I hope that there's some some type of campaign finance reform at the federal level.
1: In back in the Chicago City Council, who are the alders you most enjoy working with? The ones you feel like you really have the best relationship with?
2: Uh, I, I, I'm I'm the type of legislator that Alderman That's more of a legislator. I like I uh, like introducing legislation and, and and making impactful legislation that helps uh, everyday Chicagoans. And so when um, we take a look at the alder the aldermen and women that are um, currently in in the council, um, the ones that are more active legislatively. So I I, I work with uh, alderman Riley. Um, on legislation, um, I'll work with uh, some of the members of the Latino caucus to put forward legislation. Um, and then, um, also take a look at working with, uh, former alderman, um, uh, uh, around, leg- around veteran issues, uh, that we were able to put forward creating, uh, and reestablishing the, the, the office of veteran affairs, for example, uh, under this last, um, uh, under this last budget where we, where we were able to put forward, a, uh, a budget amendment that reinstated the, um, office of veteran affairs to the $300,000. Mm-hmm. So, uh, again, I enjoy working with aldermen and women that are about putting forward legislation. Um, and because I think that when people, when people say, I wish government did this, then I say, well, tell it to, let's put forward some legislation to force dialogue. Uh, and as a result, what you saw was me, me introduce, um, legislation that put forward the largest guaranteed basic income pilot program in the country that provided 5,000 families with 500 bucks a month for a year, um, so that way we can study it and then uh, moving forward um, after the it has been studied to figure out a weight some of the pros and cons uh, and if the and if the pros are outweigh the cons, which I I'm, um, I'm almost certain they will, taking a look at how do we make it permanent so that when we can uh-huh. our city. That takes into effect um, and and really represents working 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 families, that allows them to work with dignity.
1: I know that uh, technically this isn't your backyard, but uh, what do you think of the casino project and the use, in an interim basis, of the Medina Temple as a temporary casino?
2: Yeah, so it's just outside my backyard, my my (laughs) eastern portion of
1: my. It's just over the the fence.
2: That's right, the eastern portion of my ward is at eighteen hundred, which is wood eighteen hundred cost that is eight hundred, so ten blocks away is where my ward is. Uh-huh. and and we're going feel the we're going feel the effect uh, but our my job is to make sure that it's a positive effect so we've we, we've already been in discussions with valleys in the city to make sure that as you know folks are going to travel to the casino and and maybe they'll take Grand avenue or Chicago avenue or other. Uh, other avenues that we want to make sure that um, we're, we're showcasing the city, so that way people are not just driving through, but they're actually looking into a neighborhood and seeing some of the, the restaurants, the arts, etc. Make it more welcoming, so that way we can attract even more economic development. Listen, you know that casino is going to generate revenue that's earmarked specifically for pensions, fire, fire and police pensions, uh, and right now, um, the only way that we're able to fund these pensions are through property taxes. And so this allows us a, a stream of, um, revenue that will be dedicated towards, uh, towards pensions making sure that they're, that the men and women that have served the city, both in police and fire, uh, that we're, we're, we're fulfilling the obligation of making sure that we're, that they do receive this pension. So, um, it was something that needed to be done. It's going to create thousands of jobs, um, you know, tens of thousands, of temporary jobs. Of thousands of permanent jobs, um, and um, I, I think I think it would be good for the city. But we got to make sure that we that it's done correctly, uh, making sure that uh, again, public safety, people are feeling good about having the ability to come uh, to the city, uh, using it as another recruitment tool for for tourism. I think that if we do it correctly, that it would be beneficial for the city.
1: Uh, switching gears a little bit. Um, Congressman Chuy Garcia was a big supporter of Delia Ramirez in her congressional run. He is also now running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. If he becomes the next mayor of the city of Chicago, will you be able to work with him? Or uh, do you guys need to sort of have a little bit of maybe a breakfast where you work things out?
2: (laughs) Well, here I'll say this. Uh, Joan, that in politics, once the race is over, it's over in my, in my, in my opinion. Um, and, um, you know, if, if, uh, Congressman Garcia is successful, um, the same way that I've worked with, um, both, uh, Mayor Emanuel, Mayor Lightfoot, um, I'll be working, uh, with, uh, Mayor Garcia. Um, and so, so I, I think it's important that, um, that people remember that when someone's elected. We're, we're there representing the community, um, and, and it's, it's for me, it's, it's business. It's about making sure that I'm bringing resources back, making sure that I'm providing city services, uh, making sure I'm, I'm introducing and, and, and passing impactful legislation for residents of my ward, but also for the city of Chicago. And So whoever the mayor is, um, I envision uh, working closely with him or her uh, because of the fact that my community needs resources, and that's why they elect me just to make sure that I'm there to advocate for for, for my community.
1: What's What's one th- piece of legislation, one ordinance that you would love to see get passed in 2023?
2: Well, here, uh, this is a, a really a wonky piece of legislation that I've been working on.
1: And I love wonky.
2: Yeah, so so in Denver. Uh, and and, and I, I remember I said I, I'm on a national board. So in Denver, they have what's called mini municipal bonds. And so what happens is, is that when the city sells debt, they go to the bond market. Typically, it's go to go to to New York, sell the bonds in order to incur debt and, and get the revenue. Well, in Denver, what they do is they allow for um, residents of Colorado, residents of Denver, the ability to purchase that debt, so that way they can make money as well. But also they're seeing their project and and, and seeing the investment they're making. in. so it may be a school, maybe a park, it may be a road, um, that they're investing in based on the bond, uh, the bond deal, Mm -hmm. Uh, but but also not only they benefiting from the actual infrastructure asset, but they're actually benefiting from an annual interest payment uh, because they've invested in that project. And so that's something that I'd love to see come to fruition here in Chicago. Uh, a mini-municipal bond where it allows Chicagoans the ability to invest, purchase some of um, uh, that, improving our infrastructure, but also making uh, an annual dividend on their investment.
1: Well, I've asked you a lot of the things that I want to know about your uh, political life and your ward. What is something that you would like our listeners to know about you and or the work you're doing?
5: No,
2: absolutely. Well, I appreciate that, Joan. Um
1: It's <laughs> only I, fair. I, you asked, answered my questions. You should, you should get to make a statement of your own.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, people should know that I'm a, I'm a Chicagoan, uh, born and, born and raised through and through, product of CPS. I lived in Chicago Housing Authority for the first eight years of my life um, until my dad died uh, when I was eight, and so my mom had to raise two boys, eight and four, and um, they should know that. The reason why I introduced guaranteed basic income pilot program was because I benefited from a program like that as a, as a young boy, uh, survival debt benefits from social security, which provided my mom a stipend that allowed her the ability to work uh, with dignity, um, not have to work two jobs and, and made sure that, we, that she was <laughs> looking over, um, uh, two boys, uh, in the city of Chicago and, um, uh, went to the Marine Corps. Right out of high school, right out of CPS, couldn't afford college at the time. Uh, Came back from uh, um, the Marine Corps, Desert Shield, Desert Storm veteran, and uh, enrolled at Northeastern Illinois University on the Illinois Veterans Grant, uh, a grant that provides Illinois veterans the opportunity to go to any state university for free. So I took advantage of that. I was a teamster for 10 years. I worked in state government for almost a decade, and now city council member for eight years, uh, looking to do uh, another four years and making sure that we're moving the city forward. Uh, And anytime I go across the country uh, with these national boards, I'm always uh, championing and cheerleading the city of Chicago because uh, having having been going to different cities, I can tell you that city of Chicago is definitely the best city in the world.
1: (laughs) Um, Do you think that there is going to be uh, any change in the leadership of the Chicago Police Department If we uh, potentially get a new mayor and would you be supportive of a change or do you think David Brown should stay?
2: Um, I'm almost I can almost guarantee there'll be a change. Um, And quite frankly, I think there needs to be a change. Um, Having having spoken to uh, hundreds of officers uh, over over his tenure, um, there's a common there's a common theme there. Uh, The morale's down. And um, you're just they don't there doesn't seem to be a a sense of direction. Um, So I think that um, I think you'll definitely see us. You definitely see a change um, if if a new administration comes in.
1: Interesting. Alderman Villegas, thank you so much. I hope that um, that you will continue on in the city council and that you will continue on chatting with us and bringing us up to date. On the legislation that you think we need to be paying attention to, I can't always. I try. I can't always stay on top of everything the Chicago City Council is doing. So please, in the future, if there is something that you really think needs to be looked at or talked about, please, please reach out. We would be happy to have a discussion.
2: It. Absolutely. Thank you, Joan, and, and uh, happy New Year. And thank
1: you. For happy that- New Year to you too. We are going to take a break for news. We're going to be back with more state and local politics right after this.
0: Jonas Pizzito, live, local and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820.
1: Happy 2023 and who better to look forward to to what we have in store for us politically, locally, and throughout the state of Illinois, than the person who has devoted themselves to good government. David Orr is here with Good Government Illinois. David, how are you, and Happy New Year?
3: Well, I'm great, thank you, and Happy New Year to you.
1: Uh, Good Government Illinois has done a lot of really interesting town halls and presentations, focused on certain candidates and certain issues, I think you would have to say in 2022, Good Government Illinois was a resounding success.
3: Uh, well, again, we're, we're small, but I think we do a lot of good friends And, and we try we're and scrappy. Collaborate with, we're scrappy. we try to collaborate with a lot of other groups because, like I say, we are small, don't have the resources, and some do. But part of it is I, I firmly believe that we're going to get a better government when people understand, frankly, more about government, more about politics. There's a lot of people, you know, they're busy, they don't have time, and there's so much shadiness in politics. I don't mean that all negative. It's just that a lot of folks are not exactly what they seem. It's hard to know. You know, everybody says they stand for the best. And so I think the more sophisticated people are about politics and how it works, and that's why what people like you do is really important because if you don't understand some of the politics or some of the government stuff, the bottom line is you tend to just you know, blame the wrong victim mm-hmm. sometimes, or just lash out. So, anyway, you know, we're doing fine, and looking forward to twenty-four. You know, I guess in this business and being in politics for so long, you, you have to have a little bit of a optimistic streak in you, because otherwise, there's a lot of stuff that could <laughs> drive you nuts.
1: Yeah, ab- absolutely. It is. So, <laughs> you know, it's always a combination. Even in the even in the best years, there's always a combination of things that were great and things that were not so great. And we have to we have to rejoice in the things that were great, figure out what we did right, and then try to bring those lessons to the stuff that maybe was less than great. That's my feeling right now. I know it's early and you you want to see how life unfolds. But if you had to make some predictions for things that good government, Illinois, is going to be looking at in the next year, what would one or two of those be?
3: Let me just mention two. One is we're going to be doing a lot of work on what you might call tax justice. And I'm trying to talk about property tax justice. There's been so many scandals over the years, as people remember, partly the Madigan Burials team and all that. Um, but I think we're I think we're actually breaking through here, and that's so some of the work we've been doing in um, in, in reforms. I think you're going to you're going to see more fruit from that in, in 23. And what I mean by that is one of the key groups that I think has been a real dangerous spot is the Board of Review. Uh, mm-hmm. After Burials was kicked out, we're starting to make progress in the assessor's office. Uh, and then But then the Board of Review, um, you know, turned around some of something. In fact, I think there's a big article, in I think there's some times today from a protest yesterday, where if the Board of Review had not messed with the assessments that the assessor had made, There would be a reduction of property taxes, but they lowered taxes for some of the big property, the big, the biggest properties, which meant that little residential people had to pay the difference. So it's complicated. That's why people don't pay too much attention to it. I think we're going to see real reform in 23. So that's Really? I, I do. I, and I, I don't guarantee much, but I, I think, <laughs> I think we've, we've turned the corner. This thing that was created by Madigan and Burials and a whole bunch of others, they're going to hang on a little bit. They're going to try. But I, I think we have enough going now that we might be able to reverse all that, which means big savings for Chicago and Cook County residential homeowners. And it helps everybody. And we basically the goal is to be fair, to have people who – You know, if they have property worth a lot, they should pay the fair taxes. Um, And it's kind of equivalent to the federal level. We have so many extraordinarily powerful corporations that don't pay any taxes. I mean, ones that are worth many, many billions of dollars. So it's always difficult to get that done. But that's that's one. The other is simply focusing on the municipal elections that are coming up. And your last guess, uh, Gil, was talking about all that. Um, How can we as we prepare for that. So we'll, we'll do as much as we can, not so much endorsing all the candidates, et cetera, but trying to talk about how can we get some reform out of who's ever elected to both mm-hmm. city council and the other offices. So um, that's really important because sometimes you can have good people, but they can't do enough. I mean, for example, Gil, your last guest was talking about, there's a bunch of folks, um, some that I respect that are working on this idea of a charter, uh, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not sure about some of this stuff because their key thing is saying, well, we need a strong city council. Well, in my entire lifetime, we've never had a progressive city council. Never. And, and we've had two relatively progressive mayors that were stymied by a strong uh, and not progressive city council. Uh, one was Harold and one was uh, Lori. Um, so anyway, I, I respect some of the people behind that. I just, i 'm not sure that we want to create something that gives more power to city council until we actually have a a what I call a reform city council and we 're a long way from that but but anyway, I think the more what you do and other media and as candidates have to talk about what they 're going to do, how can we, for example, deal with the campaign finance reform? How can we do some good things relating to ethics? How can we stop people from i uh, well, i could I could go into it if I had my way, there would be fewer city fewer automatic wards there'd be fewer committees there'd be more focus on turning aldermen into professionals like they have in most big cities um anyway uh we're, we're going to be talking about that so those are two things that we're going to focus on for the next few months
1: so alderman uh, giegas when when we were talking about that said mm-hmm. that he he said that he believed that there was a lot of support for the idea of springfield creating a city charter Do you see that support, whether or not you think a city charter is needed or even a good thing?
3: Until I know more, I hope not. I mean, I've seen Springfield do a lot of things that does damage to Chicago. Um, So I'm not ready to say that. In other words, I I don't believe our problem right now is because... The city, the all don't have any power, okay, not at all. Um, I don't think that's our problem. I want to be careful about having too strong a city council. When, like I say, never in my lifetime have we had a progressive city council, okay? Now, yeah, maybe there's a few more votes here and there, but, you know, the whole time Dick Simpson was there, there was four progressives. The whole time I was there, there might have been five. Um, so, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't want to see anything pushed down Chicago's throat The one thing I'm going to predict for 23 that I would love to see the state legislator do, and that is they should own up to the fact that Illinois is always 49th or 50th in the amount of tax money that goes to the public schools. That's horrendous. That is why it's so hard on average people and people that are kind of on the edge financially Because other states, remember, if we're 49th or 50th all the time, that means there's other states that are 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. When the state pays its fair share toward public education, then our property taxes are not so high. And again, as people probably heard this before, so Will Met can afford to have high property taxes and therefore pay two or three times what we get to spend on average public school. Kid, and of course, many of the children there come from much, let's say, more uh, more helpful environments to begin with. Okay, they, that, you know, there's no question that there's plenty of dental visits and doctor visits and all sorts of things. So, by being 49th or 50th, um, that really is a, is a shocking thing to Chicago public schools. It makes it really difficult to govern the way we want with the public schools, and it most of all hurts. Uh, middle-class and poor people. So, uh, again, they're going to do a lot of things, but that's one I would like to keep reminding of. That's one that could really make a difference.
1: We need to take a break. I'm speaking with Good Government (laughs) Illinois' David Orr. We're going to continue our conversations about all things politically, locally, and statewide right after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by David Orr of Good Government Illinois. David, one of the things you touched on earlier was making sure that the average person understood how government works. Earlier today, David and I were talking about all the people who are in the mayor's race and how they might have reasons other than wanting to be mayor for being in that race. And I think that is the perfect example of how politics works. What are some of the reasons? I mean, not that anybody who's in the race wouldn't love to be mayor, but there are other reasons to do that kind of work. David, talk about that.
3: Well, I think, uh, of course, a lot of our listeners know that. People sometimes, I run, I know I'm going to lose, but then I'll be a stronger the next time. And there's other times that people run because they think they can get some money. And they probably know they're going to lose, but, you know, whatever. So others are just people that jump in there. Like people that jumped in there, you know, several months ago, things might have seemed more attractive to them. For example, you know, um, Alderman Sawyer, you know, who has a pretty good name recognition because of his father, who was mayor for a while. Um, But, you know, no offense to, to, to Sawyer, he's a very decent guy, but he has, I don't think he has much of a chance to win, OK. Um, so and, and for
1: somebody I, I, I agree with you that he is not uh, of the field that exists right now, I would not put him in the top three. So why does somebody like that go to all the trouble? Is it? Is it name recognition? Because I know a lot of times if somebody wants to maybe run for something down the road, but they know that they, you know, they don't have the name recognition of whoever they're going to be facing, they could do something like a high profile race for mayor of the city of Chicago to raise their profile. What's, what do you think is motivating Rod Sawyer? Or do you think he really truly believes that there is the potential for some kind of Hail Mary where he's elected?
6: Tell you for Rod
3: for Alderman Sawyer, uh, because it goes back remember he 's someone who's always going to pick up things with people say, "I knew your father and blah blah blah, so I mean he gets some positive feedback, and remember the, remember when people jump in like people jumped in a, several months ago the, the climate changed very quickly, like for example. I was going to mention a poll that uh, I'm most aware of fairly recently, and it was basically where black Americans, no, not black, or black Chicagoans stood. And in that poll, if I remember some of the numbers, and I'm, I can never guarantee how accurate things are, but in that case, I think Lori, for example, is at 32%. Of course, as mayor, she would love to be higher, but 32%, and I believe that Chewy had 18%, and I think Willie Wilson had 18% and then most of the others were all down below 10 okay
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, so that's so the point is is uh, a Sawyer might have been just throwing it out there and see if things would pick up and things could change he could always drop out because unless uh, in, in uh, uh, let's take other examples like Brandon Johnson Brandon Johnson is remember he was a key person still is with the uh, Chicago Teachers Union mm-hmm. very active there and um, in fact the CTU had said Four or five years ago, that they were going to run someone for mayor in this this time, and so uh, yeah, I think Brandon certainly would like to be mayor. But you could argue there's fallback positions. Okay, they're going to spend a lot of money on this case, and at this point, Brandon hasn't broken through it all. Now you could say, fifty-seven days, maybe he could do it, but it's really hard when even Chewy is much higher in the standing among Black voters than Brandon Johnson is at the moment. So what you might say, hmm, well, maybe something else is involved. Enough, not talking about that's illegitimate. Maybe Brandon has his eyes on Danny Davis's congressional seat. Okay, and uh, there was a woman that ran against Danny, and she lost. Uh, now, Danny, we don't know how long he'll hold on in his, in his west side congressional district, which also has some downtown in it now. So the point is, uh, he, that may be, A real fallback position that a lot of money spent in ads in the right way gives him a really strong position for Congress. Now, whether or not CTU members necessarily think that's the best use of money—that's—that's kind of up to them and all that. Um, So that's just an example of it. And other people, yeah, it's really hard to say. To me, there are, um, I guess, maybe three top candidates you know clearly the mayor is still in there from from the polls uh garcia seems to be leading most of the polls and paul vallas paul vallas remembers the only white candidate uh also much more conservative than the others which means he might be able to hope he wants to get you know police votes and conservative union votes and and republican votes um, now, that doesn't mean someone like a Brian Johnson with the right ads and enough money spent might jump up there. But that's really hard. Like I say, when you've got if you look at just Lori and Willie and Chewy, that's my math. You know, that's 70 percent of the black vote right there. See what I mean? So I do You know. Think-
1: it's interesting because I I, hmm. I saw an article while I was um while I was off last week. And the headline was, excuse me, you know, Lori Lightfoot was, you know, a a dark horse candidate that came out of nowhere to become mayor of Chicago. Could it happen again? And I thought to myself, I don't think so. But what do you think?
3: (laughs) Well, I think that was very different Um, uh, again four years ago. She was a definitely dark horse candidate, but at that time, at least my view of it. The politics were at that point, there was all the scandals that began to come out about uh, Ed Burke and Madigan and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, what the four top candidates were all seemed to be connected to what you might say the more traditional, uh, I would say machine policy, I'd say more traditional politics. And those people were Bill Daley that would have been mayor if there hadn't been a, a, an incredible, <laughs> which I've talked about before, an incredible attack from some old machine folks that were really pissed at Daley. So we had Bill Daly, you had um, Tony, you had um, Chico, you had the state controller. Anyway, you had um, four candidates that all seem the polite way to put us is, is more traditional party Democrats uh, or some would call them more machine individuals. So in that case, Lori jumped out of that, partly because of the scandals that were hitting the papers at that time. And all of a sudden, a uh, number of people in Chicago and throughout the country, they like to vote for new things. You know, we're conditioned <laughs> for new products. You know, it's just, you know, it doesn't make it good. I'm just saying there's a conditioning there. Um, this is a little different here because you have um, a lot of people that are well-known um, or they have other skills. I mean, Sawyer is pretty well-known in certain communities. Uh, Brandon Johnson is certainly well known within the teachers' union, but he hasn't been able to break that broader yet. So when you've got three people, partly Dallas, because like I say, he's the only white candidate in it at the moment, uh, which means he's more attractive to some right-wingers than others, although Willie Wilson has a uh, have a right-wing Republican following too. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a very different situation now. So. Uh, it is hard. Now, I think if you go back that I know there was conversations between Chewie Garcia and uh, Brandon Johnson about, hey, you know, if one of us ran, that could, could probably win. But we, if we both run, that won't help. And I'm not part of any of those conversations. But the point is, it didn't work out, you know, uh, in the, with both of them running. So, uh, you know, so obviously they both can't win. And, and Chewie... Name recognition is so important in this kind of politics, unless you have just gobs and gobs of money.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. So I think we're, you know, things could change, right? There's always going to be surprises, but it's likely the key is which of those three we just mentioned get into the runoff. That's, that's the ball game. You know, for example, like let's, it's possible. um, Even Lori wouldn't get in the runoff. See what I mean? If um, Uh black folks are being split up, um,
1: but you remember when she ran when she ran last time, her support was a lot of the white population, you know, the Lincoln Park, the near north. And I remember because she was gay, uh, that her support wasn't as strong as you might have expected for an African-American candidate, because that was the big thing. You know, when Willie Wilson finally withdrew from the race you know his big gesture was to go with her to various south side churches and basically use his credibility to let people know you know it's okay yes you know she she may be gay but it's okay and you can vote for her that was supposedly what i was told was going on and the fact that once she became mayor and kind of froze him out was uh, was what soured that relationship because i think he thought that if he helped her win over black voters that he would have access. Um, and that, you know, and some people have said, you know, one of the mistakes she made was, you know, just listen to him. Doesn't mean you have to do everything he wants you to do, but you could have taken his calls. You know, you could have listened to him and that that's why essentially he's running again against her. What do you think?
3: I don't buy it. Willie's going to win anyway. Willie has an incredible ego. Um, and easily influenced, um, and, uh, I'm, you know, there's certain things that uh, I've experienced as well. I can't go into all sorts of things that might be confidential discussions, but what I would say is I don't think that's the true story. I think there was a lot of things that he wanted and demanded, and I think Lori, to her credit, basically said no. Um, Mm. but... Um, yeah, I think it's a totally different story, but Willie is someone that kind of loves his stuff. He's got plenty of money. Um, I do, I do believe that he wouldn't disclose where his money's come from, which I think is very bad. I think he might be one of the few of the Merrill candidates who's not doing that. I think that's a big mistake. It's like Trump. Remember, we're paying for all of the. Crap that uh-huh. that, that crook, did, crook did when he wouldn't release you know, <laughs> the real information about him, and we're paying for it still. So again, Willie uh, Willie has his good points, as we all know, but I I don't think the way you describe it would be the way I describe it. I think it's the way he might describe it. Yeah. But anyway, so, so the point is, we got all this stuff going on, um, and so I you know, no offense. I mean, I I like. I like uh, Sawyer, I like Sophia King, I like a lot of these people, I like Willie. You know, we've we've done things together. Um but I don't think um those and other names are people that are going to be getting in a runoff period. And some of them if they ain't got in a runoff, they wouldn't be elected. So um the key I think is uh you know, sometimes things narrow. People began to see things. They're going to see more polls. That's why people do ads right now. And by mid to late January, people have to make some big decisions. Okay, and voters do that, too. They may say, I I like Willie, but. "Hmm." So
1: you think potentially that in the next few weeks we might see some people dropping out other than Ray Lopez, who's already out? We'll
3: see one of two things. We'll see one of two things. We'll see some dropping out. Or if they're, if they're raising enough money, if they can keep it up. And like I say, for other reasons, you know, Sophia King's young. You know, I mean, again, I'm not saying she's got other aspirations, but uh, that could be helpful. Um, a lot of these people, you know, they're still elected officials or wannabes. So, yeah, so they could, uh, uh, the more good commercials they can have, they can help in the future. The other, though, is not so much that they what they decide, it's what the voters decide. Like, uh, there are plenty of voters. Let's say African-American voters, for example. And I start looking and said, wait a second. You know, I may like Willie or I, I, I like the work that Alvin Sawyer's done or I like Sophia King or blah, 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 blah. Um, but wait a second. I can see these polls. OK. And if the black vote, which is essential to electing an African-American mayor, is split up between five, six, seven, eight candidates. Well, I can guarantee you there will be no black mayor. Now, some might feel good about that. OK, but I doubt it. <laughs> so what I'm saying, well, sometimes there's self-selection. You know, I my first choice is, is not doing too well. So maybe I got to jump to my second or third. That, mm-hmm. That's what often happens. Not always. No guarantees there. But that's what um, let's say the lawyers of the world be hoping that happens. And the, the Sawyers and the Sophia, Sophia Kings, for example, hoping it doesn't. But that's what people often do. They have to make a selection. As they see a poll in late January, and then it's elections just two, three weeks away, and early voting is very they're coming up very soon, that then they, they say, okay, well, like, maybe that's not my best choice, and I'll move on. Uh, that's what usually happens. We'll see it. Um, but like I said, just kind of fascinating that, that um, that's why you saw for months a lot of quote, white candidates. Were playing with it okay mm-hmm. um, um people that were usually you know big democrats in some way um congressmen and others and friends of uh president obama etc but all of them decided not to go for one reason or another Vallis, you know who was a chief of staff for offered daily and did a lot of stuff for in the schools not all of it good for sure um but you know what else has he got so and again a lot of these people get encouragement. That's a whole other thing that most people never see. There's. Ooh, a lot
1: of- I want to talk to you. We, we need to take a break. Okay. I want to talk to you sure. more about what you mean by encouragement and what forms it takes. David Orr and I will be right back after this.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I am joined by David Orr from Good Government, Illinois. We are having a really interesting conversation about why people are motivated to run for office, particularly looking at the crew running to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago and what motivations they might have, what benefits might accrue to them other than actually winning a particular race. And uh, before we went to break, David was just talking about how sometimes people get into a race because they get encouragement from others. And what I want to know, David, in your experience, what kind of encouragement, where does it come from, and what's the reason behind it?
3: Well, the reason is pretty simple. Um, the people that are doing encouraging often are big money folks or politically sophisticated activists. And their goal is because they want to crowd the field. Rarely it's that they want this person to win, but they might want to crowd the field. They might want to maybe make sure there's too many of one racial background and race so it helps the person they want. Um, But so what we see is, you know, it's hard to see now because... Our country has a long way to go if we're really going to clean up our politics because of the money. You heard before from Gil. Um, yeah, we need campaign finance reform. And even without jumping into a whole other subject with this crazy congressman that lied about his entire life, that got elected out oh, in New York. Santos. I think we're going to find oh. a lot of very dirty money, okay? Very dirty money. But as long as we allow, because of our terrible Supreme Court, this dark money to exist, sometimes we don't know. So that's a big encouragement if someone can, can drop maybe a couple million dollars on you um, and not have to disclose it. I, I remember, for example, just one little thing. I remember when I was trying to raise money maybe 25 years ago, and I was talking to one fairly connected person. They said, well, will you take dirty money? And I said, what do you mean? And I don't I don't remember the exact name, and even if I get a portion. To, but basically, there's a very famous large um, garbage collection company. In the country, and if I would take money from oh, the real easy to get, I'll get you ten grand just like that, no problem, that kind of stuff. But if you want clean money, I don't you, I don't think they use those words. But if you want, if you won't take that money, it'll, it'll be more difficult to help you. Um, so one is money, and I do think there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Um, I, I really think it's important for everybody, including Willie, to have to disclose these things um, because. If we can't get them to disclose them while people are running for office, we don't know who's really behind them. So one mm. is money. Two is um, egos. Remember, politicians can be folks with incredible egos. And I've seen it happen all the time. Oh, yeah, these people talk to me, encourage me, blah, blah, blah. And there's a lot of very good political activists, strategists that are very good at that. Um, again, I would say there's been people around Willie that have been encouraging that and, and at least all of the candidates that I've seen over the years. So that's um, that's a whole other thing. And they may have the different motives, like I say, they might want a lot. Well, for example, one is a clear motive. You get a lot of African-Americans in the race. It certainly that could be very helpful in, in making sure Lori doesn't get a second chance or a second term. Um so one of the worst things about our system is, as long as there can be all this dark money, and you and I have talked about it many times, we don't. Have, you, you vote for some big referendum, clean up our rivers, okay? But there's a big, <laughs> there's a big. It's not really what it sounds like, and it's being paid mm-hmm. for the polluter. So um, that's just one of the things that you know, we have to do if we're going to make a difference in the future. So.
1: So, what you're saying is that sometimes people are encouraged because the people who are encouraging them simply want them to disrupt the race. Um, and, and maybe like, well, well what, you know, it's like Ed Burke was always accused of, of the old style political maneuvering where, you know, you've got a candidate who looks strong. You know, running against you, so you run a a a fellow candidate on the ballot who you know will draw votes from them, but not you either, because of an ethnicity or a name or some other uh, other reason. Yeah,
3: it's becoming very common. I mean, we have we have proof now. uh, But Madigan won that one. Madigan and his people put up two uh, people of uh, Latino names that didn't do anything. But part of that, remember, uh, part of the problem for some of the more southwest side, old traditional Democrats is the growth of the Latino movement, okay? So what that means is, um, hey, I could be really side, I could be really hurt, but on the other hand, if I'm white, like Madigan was, for example, and I put up two Latinos, if in fact we get a real Latino candidate, well, I. that makes it very difficult for them to really win. And if we have to give these people some money, we will now that all went all the way to the Supreme court. Okay. And he won it. I uh, uh, just said something about the, how bad some of our courts have gotten over the last 20, 30 years. But, um, but without going into the merits of that, uh, that went to, went to a trial and they actually won, but they certainly admitted in the process that they did it. So, yeah, there's always, you know, that's why, you know, people say, Oh, dirty politics. So, yeah, there's all that kind of slime and stuff in there too. But there's some really good people that run, and we need to encourage them. And this, this is just—we're just talking about running. The key is all this stuff continues. You know, when you, when you, like, there's going to be a lot of changes. Whoever mayor, there's going to be changes and challenges. And so, all this same stuff we're talking about is still there. People trying to influence things. They're all the lobbyists. They're all the big money. Um, because it's always there. Like, one of the worst things about Illinois, for example, politically, is that you you, and I, we, we can keep keep all the money we have. Like, let's say um, somebody like Brad Burke had $6 million in the bank. Uh, a place like California says, you know, you raise this month on your campaign. campaign's over. you got to give it the rest back. Um, we're, we do the opposite, in other words, we allow... We politicians, because I was certainly one of them, uh, if we can amass a fortune, we can keep it. And what that means is the voters really have no choice in the future because if someone's going to run against me and I've got a half a million dollars sitting in the bank uh, and they got nothing, you know, what are their chances? And so mm-hmm. that's what's happening all over, unfortunate Illinois. Uh, Those are the kind of changes that are so critical behind the scenes. And we can't get the powerful politicians to agree because most of them have giant kitties. Kitties mean Uh,
4: big
1: David, we have a caller who wants to join our conversation. Steve is calling in from the Gold Coast. Go ahead, Steve. You're on with me and David Orr from Good Government,
5: Illinois. Yes, excellent conversation. I wanted to make a couple of points. I and mean, one, yeah, your guess is absolutely right, because essentially you have a system in Illinois that allows uh, private interest to give you money, knowing full well that you won't be running beyond this election. Uh, essentially, it's legalized bribery. So, in other words, you you can vote any way you want on a lot of things, knowing full well you're not running again, and you essentially have a big kitty that you're going to take uh, with you to Florida and uh-huh. you know, to, to, to heck with the the people of Illinois. That's point one. Two, uh, Chicago now demographically is a city of thirds. We're a third white, a third black, and a third Hispanic. So the question is, uh, how does that break down in terms of electoral politics? Right now, I would argue that the best analogy is New York. And I, I think that if I had to put my money anywhere, it would be behind Paul Dallas, who's been running the law and order campaign for a couple of years now, since 2020 and the explosion in crime. And when you poll Chicagoans. Um, above everything else, crime is the, is the big issue. And it's not education any longer, it's not COVID, Um, the economy is up there as well. But crime is a major concern, and Paul has been up there in terms of uh, making that a center point of his campaign so far. And also, I mean, let's face it, though we are a city of third, the money is still in the hands of a lot of white people as far as financing campaigns and corporate donations and other things. So that's something else to consider. We're not simply all just equally as wealthy. And so it, it matters uh, how much your constituents can give. And, and as, as you guest as pointed out, it depends how many people. Uh, I wish that this weren't the case. I wish we were beyond racial and ethnic politics, but in Chicago, we're not. And how many people of your ilk are also running? So if there's two or three or four African-Americans running, then you, you might not get uh, one that's going to be a, a part of the runoff. It might be a Hispanic and, and the white guy uh, in the runoff or a, a white guy and a black guy or a Hispanic and, and, a, and a black person. But uh, I, I don't think it's likely that you won't get a white person because, again, the financing and so forth that comes from so many people in Chicago and so much fear surrounding crime, especially downtown and so forth. So uh, um, I think mean, that's where I come down on this. I mean, I could be wrong entirely, but uh, the last point I'll make, I think uh, your guess is absolutely right with regard to Willie Wilson. I mean, he is sort of Chicago's version of Donald Trump. I don't know why people think that uh, successful businessmen are qualified to be leaders of the third largest city in the country. It's like saying I went to medical school, so therefore I'm qualified to argue a case before the Supreme Court. And one has nothing to do with the other. Um, yeah,
1: but the- you know, that's. I mean, you know, you know, it's just like when you see these. Well, you don't see it quite so much anymore. But I can remember years ago when if there was a CEO of a big major national or multinational corporation, lots of times, you know, all of a sudden they'd be putting their name in to run for president. You Well, you know, I I've run a multi billion dollar corporation. I can I can run this country. I mean, it used to be something that happened fairly
5: frequently. You know, you know, John, Forbes magazine uh, asked people this question uh, who People, leading people in their field across the country, academics or, or Fortune 500 CEOs across the board, people who are in power in this country and asked them, would you consider running for office? And the vast majority said no, and never would. And the number one reason they gave is that they don't want their private lives to become public
4: and uh-huh. in, in
5: social media. Uh-huh. that's what's going to happen. So, you know, if, if you have nothing to hide, then great. But if you if you think you're going to be elected to a major office in this country, Without, you know, uh, with the exception of this congressman out of New York, which is bizarre beyond belief (laughs) to get all the way to the House of Representatives without this coming out, you know, But but by and large, in 2023, it's going to come out. I mean, you might run for dog catcher soon somebody still runs for that and get into office city council or something like that in a small town. But anything else, and somebody is going to dig in everything that you've ever done in your life.
1: You would you would think. Uh, thank you for that, Steve. Thank we you. need to take a break. And frankly, when we come back, I'd like to talk to you, David, a little bit about this. Uh, the one of the newest Republican congressmen, George Santos, folks, if you're listening, if you haven't read about this guy he was elected to congress there was a tiny little newspaper that published an article that said everything this guy is saying about himself is a lie but nobody paid any attention to it democrats didn't do any opposition research on him republicans didn't vet him none of the none of the news organizations that would ordinarily look at a congressperson looked into him everything about him everything Everything about him is a lie, and he is now a member of Congress. We're going to be back with more on that right after this.
0: Joan live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: There is a freshman Republican congressman by the name of George Santos who apparently is untouchable at this point because he was smart enough to tell Kevin McCarthy that he would vote for him for Speaker. So all the Republicans are pretending that George Santos doesn't exist. Everything about him, his history, his education, his work background, his family background, every single one of those things that he talked about when he was campaigning was a fabrication. The man is a total... And complete liar, the likes of which we haven't seen since since Donald Trump. But Donald Trump, at least, would would weave a little bit of truth into his lies. George Santos didn't even bother. But from everything that I've read, David, Republicans are very studiously not talking about him, not saying that they're going to take him to task in any way, because the vote for Speaker of the House is going to be tomorrow. And by all accounts, it's going to be a nightmare.
3: Uh, we have good things, and this shows some of the worst of our politics for all sorts of reasons. The, the media didn't do its homework Uh, New York uh, did a terrible job in this election. In other words, uh, it's a very good possibility that the um, Democrats would have shocked the nation and held on to the House if New York hadn't screwed up. Yeah,
1: New York Uh, and California were big disappointments, right? They let the rest of us down.
3: Yeah, totally, totally careless in this particular case. Uh, but it also, it goes back to, you know, why can this happen? Oh, we see, OK, the media, uh, the party did what it should. Republicans were, even if they knew this stuff, wouldn't step up. Um, but also other stuff, it shows us how weak our campaign finance reform. So one of the things we know is he basically now he might all of a sudden he had tons of money. So it gets back to the dark money. Uh, it's. This is going to continue to happen over and over again, and it happens for, for legislation, too. That's a critical thing, you know, why we don't have reasonable gun control and stuff, um, because so much money can be used improperly through dark corners and so forth. Um, so, uh, you know, someone can – and it also shows a lot about this, the, the state where we've gotten where we can't agree on certain facts. It used to be, well, these certain things seem to be – I may not like it. I may like this person, despite what happened. But um, uh, more and more, particularly when major television stations, feel comfortable and just lying on a regular basis or distorting things. So it's difficult. I suppose the good news is that he li- he he could be in trouble legally, which would be nice. And then again, he he would likely be defeated in the future. Um, but um, it's just, but it you know, it's so sad. funny
1: because he's so <laughs> brash. He's as much as oh, yes. admitted to the lies. He hasn't denied it. He's admitted to it. And yet he is completely without shame and saying, well, I don't care. I was elected to Congress and, I you know, I think I can do a good job and I'm going to go and I'm going to serve my constituents. And it was interesting. Yeah, CNN yeah, this morning, like- he went out to his district and they were talking to people. And some people were just outraged, like, I can't believe that this happened to us. I can't believe we're in this um, position, but, you know, somebody should go after him. They should get rid of him. And other people were like, well, you know, he said he was sorry. So, you know,
3: (laughs) I I know it's uh, it's crazy. Well, it also depends on not not such, you know, just off the street interviews. That's a tool that often the media uses that um, can be dangerous because you really should know what you're talking about. If if, if uh, people are really very much against them, you shouldn't make it sound like you talk to two that say it's okay and two that don't. But any, anyway, that's those are deeper issues relating to how the media handles things. But, yes, it's an outrage. Uh, but it also gets back if we look deeply and understand the dark money and who is behind this stuff. So, yes, he lied about everything. Mm-hmm. But people were given money that we don't know where it came from, which is a big problem. It shows a lot of our system if we can't determine where it comes from because we do have laws about some of the stuff. So, uh, yeah, just uh, very sad. <laughs> so, um, you know, one thing uh, b- briefly just to go back to, and you had a, some interesting comments from your guest a little bit ago. Um, remember that the good thing kind of about Chicago. It doesn't always follow particularly racial lines. Um, and um, uh, so when it, when it comes to what's going to happen in terms of, again, back to the mayoral election, uh, again, it's not simply a question of race. Uh, so we don't know what's going to happen. I just think we want to remind people that there's going to be, um, clearly there's going to be white people at the lakefront supporting Chewy. Uh There's going to be certain white activists in certain places that are supporting Lori and the same for vows if he gets into the runoffs um and like i say that one poll had to 18 percent with african-americans um you know that's significant um if if that would actually hold up an election um so anyway the, the more we can kind of break that barrier so people feel comfortable with, of whatever particularly ethnic background they come from they can vote you... who they think we best that's good you know
1: we just, uh, nailed this down right before the holidays. So I promoted it a little bit. Um, so you may not have heard that WCPT, me and Santita Jackson and Patty Vasquez, we are going to do a one hour mayoral forum on January 26th. It's going to be downtown. Um, we know for sure that Lori Lightfoot is going to be there. I haven't. Gotten any, well, everybody's been on vacation, so I haven't gotten any emails a- updating the situation yet. But what are one or two questions you would like the people on that stage to answer?
3: Well, the difficulty in that kind of thing is, you, of course, you'd love to hear them what they're saying about crime. The difficulty is, all those things take a lot more time. Um, hmm. um, of course, for someone like me, what I'd be looking for is what what are the one or two significant reforms of the way Chicago works? Uh, will you be guaranteeing everyone that you're going to push very hard for, uh, and, and, and right away? Um, again, that, that's I know it's a little vague, but it'd be interesting to see whether, and so we can look at campaign finance or blah, 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 because um, <clears throat> some of the real issues are so complicated. Um, it's kind of hard to get into it. I mean, you can always ask the simple ones, or you're going to get rid of, you know, Superintendent Brown, that kind of stuff. But uh, I'm really glad you're doing this because uh, those are going to be exciting and that's a critical time. Okay. And there's yeah. several others that I've been hearing about now. Um, so it's, I guess it's that kind of thing or, or a specific thing, I think, but again, these are all, all complicated, so it's hard. So I, I, I'd want to get it into some layers. but. I'd love to hear what they're going to do about affordable housing, which is a critical problem. Or like I said earlier, um, and maybe more specifically, um, what are you willing to do in terms of tax justice on the things, you know, you and I talked about earlier, okay? Mm -hmm. Uh, What steps can you take uh, to make sure the Board of Review doesn't keep these giveaways to the very powerful, wealthy downtown commercial interests? Um,'d be interesting to see what they'd say, um depending on how connected they are one way or the other um, I guess I thought I'd probably come up with a lot, but that's not it's not a whole lot for a sort
1: yeah um it, uh, it's you know it's in these things it's um, well, a lot of times it'll depend on how many people end up on the stage because um I think we're going to cut it off at a certain point, and if we have more candidates who want to be a part of it there's been talk about doing a second hour with a different group of candidates or something because you and I know you get too many people up there I'm, when when Lori was running last time around and at one point there was like more than a dozen people in the race you get too many people in these Forums don't really accomplish anything because by the time each and every person has given you a minute or even two minutes answer of your question, your time's half gone.
3: And, and it also allows for people who have no chance whatsoever to really wreak havoc. And again, um, I, you know, it's hard, hard. I don't know if I was like, to say, in your shoes, how one does that. I mean, you, one might say um, on the, the latest poll that we see the week before. You have to at least to be, you know, we're going to we're going to interview the top five, the top six,
4: mm-hmm. uh,
3: and according mm-hmm. to a group of polls. In other words, you know, because, yeah, you get too many people on there and then it's just I just want to draw attention. So I'll say something outrageous. Exactly. And Exactly. Reporters, you, you don't have the time to get back and double up on that person. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very difficult thing. Um,
1: They're so, tricky. Uh, They're you, trickier uh, than people who just sit back home and. And watch them uh, realize, because, you know, as as the as the people hosting it and asking the questions, you want it to be meaningful. You know, you don't want it to be a waste of time. You want the people who are listening and watching to come away with information or insight into a candidate that they did not have before.
5: Yeah, or,
3: or maybe you can do things if you keep it short and say, okay, whether you've been in public office or not, what do you think your most significant contribution to the public sector is? So it could be as a, from a congressman, a mayor, or from, you know, and a person that's not running for office could say, well, this is something I did, blah, blah, blah. Um, they're probably going to be blowing their horns anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah you know, strategically, it's very difficult. And um, like I said, it'd be nice if, if you could know, just agree uh, it's legit if there's a poll or a number of polls that all say this, and then you limit the number. Um, so, And again, well, I don't know if anybody's going to drop out by then, but clearly...
1: Well, when speaking of up, dropping out, up, I know that our time is, is getting short. Were you surprised when Alderman Raymond Lopez uh, dropped out of the race?
3: Not really, because I thought he had no chance at all anyway, Um so I, I wasn't, but no, I think he was just. I, I'm sure he raised a bunch of money and got some publicity. Um, so, <laughs> sorry. I mean, I, I you probably know, he's not one of my favorites. You know, I I watched him be Ed Burke's assistant for too long for me to to think he's really on the reform side. But that's that's just my humble opinion, so to speak. No, it's hard to switch colors like that if you're going to kind of be uh, um, the guy that takes orders from Ed Burke for quite a long time.
1: um, Well, you know, speaking of Ed Burke, I always thought that Tony um, Tony Preckwinkle was unfairly um, painted with a a a bad brush because Ed Burke. Had had a fundraiser for her. I mean, she'd been, you know, the difference between her and Lori, she'd been in politics for a long time. And if you're in politics in Chicago for a long time, you have had dealings of one sort or another with pretty much everybody else. And to say that, you know, because of uh, some perceived uh, affiliation with Ed Burke, Tony Preckwinkle was tainted by that. That really that really bothered me. I have I have to say Okay, but keep
3: one thing in mind, and I would agree with you, except this, she didn't have to lie about it, and that's the problem. She told various different stories. Well, it wasn't Ed, it was Anne. of course, then it was really, well, that's even worse because she's a Supreme Court Justice. So I, I think what happened in that case is it might have been something, sure, many, Ed Burks helped a lot of people, whether you like him or not, um, but I think in that story as it developed... Uh, particularly because she seemed to, I don't remember all this things happened, but kind of denied and then say, well, it wasn't Ed Burke. It was because Ann invited her, blah, blah, blah. And then they realized, wait a second, that's a Supreme Court justice. So uh, anyway, that are flip-flopping on
1: why. Yeah, the response yeah. wasn't great.
3: Right, yeah, that could, could have been uh, more carefully thought through. But yes, yeah, so it clearly hurt her some. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, not dramatically, but yeah, yeah. Those it's tough. And just like one of your guests said, you know, you're public life and people can pretty much say anything about you. And so it's hard to, you know, it's hard to maintain, a, a you know, the best reputation.
1: So. Yes. David, thank you. It is always a delight to talk to you. And I know that we will continue to discuss what's important to good government Illinois uh, going forward. Thanks so much for being here, my friend.
3: Oh, thank you, Joe. It's always fun.
1: Thank you. We are going to take a break for news. We are going to continue to focus on state politics. We're going to find out what's coming up in Springfield in 2023 right after this.
0: Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas this on WCPT 820.
1: It is our first broadcast of 2023, so we are kind of taking a look behind. We're taking a look ahead, and uh, our focus today is largely on what is happening in the state of Illinois, what has happened, and what we can look forward to in the coming year, especially down in Springfield. Uh, State Representative Jonathan Carroll joins us. He represents Illinois' 57th district district. And um, let's see, you're going to be leaving pretty quick for a veto session down in Springfield, my friend, aren't you?
6: Well, first of all, Happy New Year, Joan. Happy
1: New Year to you,
4: too.
6: Um, Yeah, we are. I will be I think we're gaveling in at three, although um, a little birdie told me that the vice president will be in Chicago that day. Yeah. My guess is that that three o'clock time might be slightly ambitious, but hey, you never know. So we'll we'll say three o'clock on Wednesday, but, you know, we'll see how that day goes.
1: Yeah. Um, and I haven't mentioned this on air, but Kamala Harris is coming to Chicago on Wednesday. We're not quite sure when she's going to speak, but the White House has put out a release that said that she's going to be talking about all of the great things that the Biden administration has done so far. If uh, she speaks while I'm on the air, I'll try to bring at least some of it to you live. We'll, uh, we'll just have to play that with that one by ear. But I would imagine that pretty much, um, <laughs> any Democrat worth their salt is going to want to be wherever she is. Would you, is that correct or not, Jonathan?
6: Yes, and uh, usually we are the one last ones to find out where and when and how. So um, I'm, I'm I'm waiting for my call.
1: <laughs> well, you know, if you get it, would you let me know? Because I've been bugging. Um, we have a guy at the station, Austin uh, Lafont, and he is the one who tells us where everything is, when it's happening. And I'm like, Austin, come on, buddy, wh- tell me about Kamala, and he's like, I can't. I don't have any information. So, my guess is that you might hear uh, a little bit before before we hear first of all, let's backtrack you know uh did you do anything fun over the holidays
6: yeah, you know uh you know we 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 did some fun stuff for the kids you know we uh we did just things around town and then ended up at a water park, which uh you know the kids loved and I was kind of like okay this is this is interesting you know, we we had a good time it was nice uh And, uh, yeah, just spend time with family and just enjoyed that. So it was good. Um, just trying to relax. You know, I think a lot of us that were in the campaign season kind of took the last month and like just caught our breath and were able to kind of, you know, recharge our batteries a little bit for certainly what's upcoming in 2023, uh, both with, you know, the upcoming blame duck session and then going into session next year. So, um, you know, we were we were certainly uh, we were certainly just trying to take it easy a little bit, so that that's kind of what my focus was.
1: So, where whenever this veto session uh, does it have to be on Wednesday? What if Kamala's speaking like at four or five or six? Could you could, would the governor have the power to say, "Oh, guys, you know, let's just start on Thursday"? <laughs>
6: The, you know, the term is off my pay grade, so we'll say that's uh, off my pay grade. We'll you just, just sit by
1: the phone and wait for and- your
6: marching orders. Exactly. No, I, I mean, my understanding is it's going to be mid-morning. And, and, and you know, and again, I, I, I have no inside intel. I'm guessing that the reason why maybe our start time was pushed back is because the anticipation was she was coming in the morning. Uh-huh. Um, I'm assuming the vice president doesn't clear her schedule with us. <laughs> I can't,
1: I, Seriously, I, she doesn't? Some
6: coordination. No, I I mean, I didn't get a call. I'm waiting for that call. You know, I was like, hey, where are you mm-hmm. going to be and when should we meet? And she'll mm-hmm. be like, oh, no problem. Here's all the details. So I, I would say that um, I'm guessing there's probably the reason why we have a later start time. But again, I, these, are, these are decisions that are made way off my pay grade.
1: Mm. OK, well, let's talk about the veto session. Um, Bob Morgan uh, is still trying to get that assault weapons ban passed. He told me that he felt that the veto session coming up was going to be his best shot to get it done. Any? Have you heard anything about it, anybody talking about it, any um, feeling one way or the other, whether or not it'll happen? <laughs>
6: Well, uh, you know, listen, rep, rep Morgan is my neighboring rep, and obviously what he and, and, and experienced on July 4th, I mean, I, I think is is horrific, you know, what, what he saw, and this has become obviously very personal for him, how it's affected his community, how it's affected his district, and certainly, again, being his neighboring rep, I mean, I think it's affected the whole area. So um, I know Rep Morgan's worked really hard on this bill. Um, it's ambitious, but it's certainly a necessary ambitious bill that he's working on, um, you I know he's going around making calls and trying to make sure he has enough votes and all the other things that he needs for it. So um, I would say that... Um Again, I, I think that, that he's certainly working it. Um, you know, the, the the challenge on any piece of legislation, I think, that we sometimes lose sight of is obviously I think, you know, the majority of voters in the state spoke to us during the election cycle and they've spoken generally is that they want an assault weapons ban. I think it, it, it's pulled at an overwhelming number and people are kind of like, you know what, we got to get these weapons off the streets. The challenge is that, you know, in our chamber, what we think is a bill that makes sense, um, put in the Senate run into some snags and certainly from the governor's office runs run into snags, you know. Um, having three co-equal branches of government allows us to, you know, to vet bills uh you know appropriately. So um i, I don 't know where he 's at with it. I know he's been working hard on certain we've all been trying to give him his space as he 's trying to work through this i 'm fully supportive of everything he's doing so I'm probably not a call he 's going to make. I think he knows where I stand on this issue, but I think the challenge is you know do we have enough members that that are there you know you have you know one in one, and, and, and one of the challenges with anything like this is you know we do you know you'd you assume an automatically a Democrat would be a supporter of this bill. We have some Democrats that represent areas that probably aren 't as crazy about this concept and so They have to be more cognizant of certainly the impacts of it. But I would say that I I, I think Rep. Morgan is, is, from what I'm hearing, he's he's pretty close. And hopefully we'll have something together, you know, in in, in time for us to work on it.
1: I know that you and I have both talked about how lawmakers, particularly those from downstate, tend to be more conservative. They tend to be more pro-gun. Do you think that his bill... You've, you've already said it has a shot at passing. Do you think it has a shot of any kind of bipartisan support, or has even the state of Illinois moved past bipartisan support, and that's a thing of the past?
6: Well, it's funny you should say that, because I had this conversation earlier with someone today. Is I, I think what, what we've seen in these last election cycles, certainly with the, you know, let, let's talk about from the Democratic side, you know, candidates that that were perceived to be not pro-choice enough um, had some challenges in the elections. Um, I think in the past, Republicans had supported, you know, reasonable gun, responsible gun laws had problems. So I think some lines are being drawn in the sand, and I think that that the, the Republican Party, because of where it's kind of gone to, is probably going to be opposed to any sort of gun reform legislation. Now, knowing knowing uh, Bob Morgan like I do, if anyone can convince Republicans to vote for it, he might be the guy to do it. But I think I think that might be a little wishful thinking. But listen, you never know. I mean, I think that that we that that we see the numbers and people in an overwhelming, overwhelming majority want assault weapons banned does that mean some of the more moderate Republican districts could get behind something like that potentially but I don't know if 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 the party's going to want to expose them to the possible uh, you know possible issues that they would have for voting for something like that so again i i mean i am I'm, I'm pretty confident to say that i, I don't know if they will have any Republican support but you know maybe one or two would say you know what this is a good idea and we should do this
1: so you know you and I have talked about How some of the more moderate Republicans were primaried and eventually replaced with the more far right, uh, senators and representatives. Do you think that there will still be bipartisanship? Because, you know, a lot of, it it seems that a lot of the really far right candidates, the, the Mary Millers, et cetera, of the world, they're, they're more interested in, taking outrageous stands and saying outrageous things, they don't really seem to be interested in sitting down and doing the work of governing. And it's almost like they don't want to be caught compromising because somehow that will impugn their credibility. I really worry about the ability in our upcoming state legislature for there to be bipartisan legislation. Please tell me I'm overreacting.
4: Well,
6: let's, you know, we, you know, the Republicans, you know, we as Democrats, too, I'm talking about the House, certainly, you know, and, and, and look, I think all chambers did it. You know, we have a new Senate president that came in and then we have a new speaker of the House that came in. And that was a few years ago. And now the the Republicans in the House, you know, uh, um, you know, Le- Leader Durkin, I, I, I don't know what his future plans are. I mean, the, the I mean, I think the world's worst kept secret, you know, he stepped on from leadership is that he's probably going to retire soon. But again, I don't want to speak on his behalf, certainly you know <laughs> rumors do love to fly around and as far as <laughs> as as the republicans in the senate i mean they they elected someone who's considerably a little more more moderate than the guy he replaced you know dan McConkie's a pretty conservative guy and john curran's a little less conservative and and, and it's interesting because you know senator curran or leader Kern, i should call him got support from some pretty conservative members which we thought was kind of curious so um and in, and in, 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 in the house as I was saying about Jim Durkin you know, uh, Tony McCombie who's you know is, is a good friend I mean I, I'm very fond of Tony but you know she's conservative I mean she's she certainly, I don't think, will be supportive of any uh, any of this of this legislation. But you know, does that mean the caucus may go in that direction? I don't know. I, I, I would hope that um, in in a new era that you know Senator Curran and, and Representative McCombie would be willing to work with leadership. Um, but you know, again, it's <laughs> we'll see how it goes. So it's going to be very curious because again, you know, Jim Durkin was there in, in that role for such a long time, and Dan McConkey came in a few years ago, and and obviously the Republicans in both the Senate and the House felt that 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 their leadership wasn't meeting their needs. So um, it's possible. Um, but honestly, if I, I had to guess, I'm going to say they're probably going to be a little more divisive because, again, they're, they're they have Well, certainly in the House, they have they have less members than they did before in the Senate while they picked up one seat. They're still in the super minority. So I think it's going to be a challenge for them.
1: We need to take a break. I'm speaking with State Representative Jonathan Carroll. We are talking about what is coming up this year. There has also been while I've been off, and I've tried to be on a news blackout, but I just can't help myself. um, There have been some uh, interesting court rulings having to do with the Safety Act and whether or not uh, Illinois will be allowed to eliminate cash bail. Going to talk to Jonathan Carroll about that when we come right back.
0: Joan Esposito, live local and progressive on WCPT eight twenty.
1: I am joined by State Representative Jonathan Carroll. Illinois was leading the way with criminal justice reform when we passed the Safety Act. One portion of that act was to eliminate cash bail, allowing prosecutors and judges to to look at people on an individual basis and decide who is a flight risk, who is a danger to themselves or to others, and on that basis decide who needs to stay in custody until their trial occurs and who can go home and continue on with their life. Cash bail amounts, in my opinion, to an almost kind of debtor's prison If you don't have, you know, if you can be, you can commit a terrible crime, but if you can make the bail, you're out free. You can be accused of a low-level crime, but you don't have the money. You sit in, you sit in jail, sometimes losing your livelihood while you wait for the criminal process to work its way through. I was really proud of the state of Illinois. Um, and now it looks like the court system is going to eliminate delay. Whatever the uh, the um, the getting this thing off the ground and getting it into use. Obviously, I haven't talked for a few weeks. I'm no, I'm searching for words. Um, Jonathan, what is going on, and what's going to happen next?
6: Well, we're we're pretty. I just talked to staff this this, this afternoon about it, and this is and it's funny because I. Uh, always have to remind my conservative friends that one of the biggest advocates for the abolishing cash bail is none other than Chris Christie, who did it in New Jersey. So this is not a liberal concept. This is a concept that makes sense. To your point it becomes debtor's prison. To your point it becomes whoever can pay gets better justice than those that can. And that's what Governor Christie at the time talked about. Again, we're again I'm not I am I, I, I will repeat myself. Chris Christie. So you heard the name I just said. This is what yeah. conservative people are. I'm still in America.
1: I'm Who still picking this? myself up off the floor.
6: Yeah, I mean, and, and he talked about it, and he talked about it in his book, and he talks about it all the time, that one of his proudest accomplishments was ending cash bail in New Jersey, okay? So here's a guy that that was a, pro- a federal prosecutor that understood what cash bail does and how it destroys families, and, and kudos to him for that. And even John Oliver on his show, when he talked about it, specifically said, hey, listen, Governor Christie gets a lot of credit for that, and he should. So... What I would say is that from, from, from my perspective, um, cash bail has been used to keep poor people in jail. It's, it's It's been a system that has, has discriminated against those that can pay and those that can't. And and judges over the years, you'll see examples of egregious bails being set by judges on vendettas and things like that that keep people in jail that can't afford it. And, and, and the horror stories you hear about cash bail and the amount of people that almost end up just pleading guilty so they can get the heck out because they can't afford. Exactly.
1: Bail. That's it's, what it does. It's,
6: it's, it's disgraceful. And I'm very disappointed that. You know that, that this that it had to go this way and it had to go from a standpoint of these these, these smaller you know these rural you know uh, uh, attorney you know states attorneys these rural judges are all of a sudden going to rule on this this system that frankly doesn't even impact their communities hardly at all and so it's 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 one of these things where it's it's sad to me that we made real progress in this state and really sent a message to this country, which Illinois has done on certain issues. Think about abortion. Think about some of the other things that we're doing. We have a chance to do it on gun rights, and we did it with criminal justice reform. And for us to be sitting here right now talking about that aspect of the bill being delayed now, um, the people I talk to are fairly confident that we'll prevail in the court system, and that we'll, that this 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 will eventually become the law of the land. But the fact that people don't understand what bail does to people, and the ability to pay does not deter a crime. And it's Mm -hmm. it's, it's, just—it's very, very upsetting to me because I was really looking forward to us setting a standard and starting to show people, like, look, that that we don't have to lock everyone up. And the truth is, if you're going to do something bad or you're going to do something, you know, like that it doesn't really matter um uh, it doesn't really matter what what the amount of money is people are going to do it anyways and we've seen examples too and you know we've also seen examples of people who can't afford to pay who go out and do something else bad so it's bail is not a deterrent to crime. Bail is just a way to keep people in jail. Sometimes it just can't afford to get out. And, and, and the stories are terrible. I mean, we can, again, you can see countless examples of people whose lives have been ruined because they've been accused of a crime and given a bail they can't afford. And and I believe in this country we have innocent until proven guilty. And I know the advocates have worked so hard on this issue and we worked hard on it. And look, some of us, even in the suburban district, took lumps for voting on it. But it's the right thing to do And and the voters in November told us that you know when, when when the opposite side ran against the Safety Act, the voters told us that, like, you know what, this isn't the biggest issue for us, and it really did mm-hmm. not move the needle as much as they thought it would, because most most people, when you, you know, most people say, like, oh, cash bail, they're letting the criminals run free. Not necessarily. It's up to judges' discretion, and I would say, I would rather a judge tell me, hey, this person does not belong on the streets. They're a risk to everyone, and, and let them make that decision, because if you do it as cash bail, they can afford bail, and they'll be out doing the same thing again. So, I'm disappointed by it. Um, am I shocked by it? No, I mean, I think they've been trying this for a while. Um, I think it's delaying the inevitable. I think this will happen, but it's just frustrating for me because it's like, what kind of message are we sending? Like, what are we saying? Like, if you're poor, you're gonna stay in jail, but if you're not poor, you'll get out. And yeah. we're gonna leave it up to a, a financial number. Like, our justice system is supposed to be blind, and our justice system, again, is innocent until proven guilty. Cash Bell assumes a guilty level and says if you can't pay, well, sorry, to, you know, it sucks to be you.
1: Yeah. Oh, last Wednesday, when the uh, this was um Kinkakee County judge, Thomas uh, Cunnington, ruled that this that the pretrial release provisions of the Safety Act were unconstitutional. And Governor Pritzker last Wednesday released this statement. Today's ruling is a setback for the principles we fought to protect through the passage of the Safety Act. The General Assembly and advocates worked to replace an antiquated criminal justice system with a system rooted in equity and fairness. We cannot and should not defend a system that fails to keep people safe by allowing those who are a threat to their community the ability to simply buy their way out of jail. I thank the attorney general for his work on this case and look forward to the Illinois Supreme Court taking up the appeal as soon as possible. Uh, What was your reaction to that? And do you have any uh, inside information on how quickly that appeal might be considered?
6: Well, the second second question first. (laughs) that, I do not know the answer to one of the guesses. I mean, I heard someone guess that it might be in the spring. You know, again, it just it depends on, you know, how quickly it moves. You know, remember, the Supreme Court ruled on it on, on New Year's Eve, I believe. So they were they were working. So um, maybe it goes faster. Maybe it doesn't. Um, I agree with everything the governor said. He's 100 percent correct. You know, we we have we need to be a leader on this issue. We've been a leader on other really important issues. We need to be a leader on this issue. And the ability to pay should not determine someone's ability to have justice done properly and the ability to pay to not have someone locked up for a crime that, frankly, is not not something that's worthy of being locked up for. So I, 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 I that's, I, I got to tell you that that statement really made me proud of our governor because he's right. We need an equitable justice system that does not take into account the ability to pay, takes into account the ability to um, the ability, obviously the ability, whether you're guilty or not. And I think that that's, that's the part about this that, that to me is just, it's, it's frustrating. And again, I think, I think we're delaying this happening. I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm, pretty confident that we'll see this eventually became, become the law in Illinois. But again, just the way it's been delayed, and, I, and I'll say this to you too, Joan, and it's, it's the other thing too, is – I'll call it the dog whistling racism that you hear in this. I mean some of the ads that we saw during the campaign cycle, some of those fake newspapers we saw come out, some of the things we saw done were obviously trying to paint, you know, minorities as, oh, look at all these minorities committing crimes, now they'll be free to do it. And it's just it's a disgrace that in twenty twenty two, twenty twenty three we're having conversations that were happening in nineteen thirty it's just it's terrible and and again i I, i'm I'm hopeful that this happens i'm hopeful this 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 becomes you know that we get this done sooner rather than later but it it was it was very upsetting to me because again we we, voting on this despite some of the pushback was the right thing to do and history will be on the and, and those of us that supported this will be on the right side of history for sure and and i'm just i'm proud that i had a chance to do that
1: Uh, I hope I hope it doesn't take till spring. But if it takes till spring, I guess, Jonathan, the silver lining here is because we are leading the way on this. If since there has been a court challenge that will be ruled on by the Supreme Court, should the Supreme Court, as we both expect and hope, rule in support of this measure? Maybe if other states adopt this, then it won't be challenged because it will be they'll be like, hey. You know, they already, you know, did this in Illinois. They challenged it in Illinois and it was upheld in Illinois. So if you want to waste your time and money, you know, go ahead. Maybe that's the silver lining in this. I, I don't know. Maybe, and then maybe I'm just grasping for straws here.
6: Well, you know, and, 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 you know, we, but yeah, you know, it's it's funny I know you've had uh, Terry Cosgrove on, and I actually was on with him one time, which is you know. By the way, congratulations to Terry on a great career and yeah. you whatever know, he decides to do next in his life. What what you know? And and I remember, and you talk about what we learned from this job. And I remember we did some you know some pretty aggressive pro-choice legislation. And at the time, you know, Terry was saying like, "Look, we can't take chances in Illinois. We cannot take chances in Illinois." And people are like, "Oh, you're overreacting. You're doing this. Uh-huh. You're doing that." and then Roe v. Wade happened, and it's like, okay, well, guess what? Terry Cosgrove was on the right side of history on that one, and by putting the laws in place that we put in place, we are protecting a woman's right to choose in this state, and, and, and really credit to Terry Cosgrove for seeing the tide with that. This is that. This is another moment like that for us here in Illinois. We can set the example for other states. This is what a, a, a fair criminal justice system looks like. This is what is fair when people commit a crime that they are treated this way, and, and I think that that, to me, is just That to me is so important. And again, being on the right side of history. Look, I took those votes on the pro choice bills and look, they were, you know, they were aggressive at the time, but thank God we did all those things. Thank God we put those yes. things in place. Thank God that's the law of the land in Illinois, because you know what? We are telling women this is a safe place for you. And I'm telling you now that that, that the, the magnitude of what we did cannot be ignored, nor should it that we that Terry Cosgrove of all you know, Terry Cosgrove in in his real brilliance on this saw this coming and and had us put these things in place to protect a woman's right to choose. And now I'd like to do the next thing with the criminal justice system. No, you will not be locked up because of your color. And no, you will not be locked up because you can't afford it. You'll be given the same, the same, the kids in Austin will be given the same opportunities as the kids in Northbrook. I think that's what we
4: need.
1: I think so, too. Um, State Representative Jonathan Carroll and I are going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this.
0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I am joined by State Representative Jonathan Carroll. He represents Illinois' 57th district. He is going to be returning to Springfield at a time to be determined later on Wednesday. Hopefully, he will be around in Chicago for uh, Vice President Kamala Harris's uh, talk. We will try to bring some of that to you, whether. If it happens in the morning, we'll bring you some of the greatest hits of things she said. If it happens in the afternoon, uh, I'll try to bring some of it to you live. The veto session, though, is supposed to start Wednesday, January 4th. We've talked about the fact that uh, one of the things that is going to be coming up is the assault weapons ban that uh, Bob Morgan from Deerfield is um, behind. Jonathan, what else is coming up in the veto session that you know of?
6: Well, I mean, I think obviously the the assault weapons ban is certainly the one that's getting the most bandwidth right now, and and, and we're hearing the most about it. So um, I think that's the hottest topic of the day. You know, there's some other smaller bills that may come along, too. Like, you know, there might be, you know, I know there was a talk about um, potentially expanding the, uh, you know, there's a a, a credit for families that have – students in, 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 you know, like it's, it's not like, it, it, it's hard to explain, but sort of like a, a credit for kids in private schools. Um, I don't know if that's coming up or not. I know there were some, there were some whispers about that. Um, maybe some cleanup bills, some cleanup language, some other stuff like that'll come up. Um, again, obviously the assault weapons, the assault weapons ban is going to be the hottest co- topic of conversation. And the one I'm hearing the most about, there's one other bill too. Um, and again, I don't know where it's going to go or what it's going to do. It's about, um, pawn stores and in, in, in in um in illinois and and sort of like you know how they do business and again i don't know where that bill's i think that's originating in the senate so i'm not sure where that's going to go but i think those are the three bills that i've i've heard the most on and again there's some other smaller bills that may come up as well
1: and let me see if i've got the dates right the veto session starts the fourth uh it wraps up the seventh but then the following week you go back for one day do i have that right
6: well, yeah, I mean I think they scheduled the days um and again, I, again, I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, you know, again, they want to start Wednesday, um, Thursday. I know we have committees, um, and then yeah. So that that that's what I know right now. Um, and again, I, it just depends. I mean, and I, I I think the biggest thing we're probably waiting on is where does uh, Rep. Morgan go with 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 the the, the bill? I think that's kind of like that's what we're. I think that's that's the major of the balance, and certainly the most the bill isn't to get the most bandwidth for sure.
1: And once the official new session starts, when everything is bright and shiny and fresh, what do you think will um, be the greatest hits of 2023 if you wanted to make a stab at that right now?
6: well let's well let's go back to the, 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 the to, to Rep Morgan's bill I mean I think that either it's going to be during these next couple of days or it's going to be next session so I think let's say 2023 will have an attempt to assault weapons ban just like the the cash bail thing I can't tell you if it's going to be next week or it's going to be three months from now it's, mm-hmm. it's a priority the governor's office I mean he's he's talked about that he would like to see it done this year um, I know again Rep Morgan wants to see this done I know that there's there's a lot of interesting getting this done. Um, you know, the, the, the mom's demand actions example's been blowing up the phone lines like they always do. They're they're so they they are on top of this, they're making calls. I I, I I unfortunately spent three hours watching the Bears game yesterday, Joan, so uh, <laughs> I'm still recovering from that. And they ran and they added halftime for this bill. So really? obviously a point. Yes, there was an added halftime that was in support of the bill. So, um, you know, it's getting mobilized. You know, the governor would like to see it happen. I think a lot of us would like to see it happen. I think we we just, you know, it's enough's enough already. Like, we we need to do this. Um, So hopefully, you know, again, I I can't tell you it's going to be next week or if it's going to be three months from now. But I know this is something that that, that he's been working on. Again, I'm sure the Senate will have a couple of other little small things too as well.
1: Anything that you want to bring to the table in this next session?
6: Yeah, I am. I have a few bills that I'm working on. I think that there's a couple that I'm I'm, I'm really excited about. You know, and, and, I, and this is kind of turning a tragedy into hopefully an opportunity. Um, during the the, the January sixth, you know, unfortunate events of that day, one of the police officers that that committed suicide's parents live in my district and you know they had reached out to me and introduced me to this gentleman from Washington DC who works with police officers on on how to handle how to you know how to handle those types of situations so we're hoping to look at legislation that will expand mental health services for law enforcement and allow them the opportunity to kind of work through things because I think, you know, and we're seeing at the suicide rate amongst our first responders and police officers is, is one is too many, but we're seeing just so many. And, you know, we want to make sure that they, they get the support and, and, and services they need. So that's something that I'm, I'm working on and I'm really excited about. Um, I also am working on, so I have, I have these incredible, Young ladies who are my interns in my office are great kids. They're, they're, they're just so smart and talented. They brought me a bill idea to make Title IX education mandatory in schools. And I love that idea. Like, what does Title IX mean? What What does it mean for equal, you know, for, for, for women's rights under the law? And, mm-hmm. and I love that idea. So that's something else I'm looking at. It's a great idea. I mean, they, they, it's funny, right. they, they came to me and they said, you know, we'd like to, you know, because they're in high school. And they said, you know, we don't really understand Title IX. And we think we need to understand it more. And I said, well, that's how bills start. Something's <laughs> not working right. And you want yeah. it to work better, so we'll put that forward. Um, you know, I'll probably do some more stuff for on food allergies. And I think you know, that's Title
1: really IX, uh, which, of course, provides for equal spending on things like men's and women's sports, I believe that only applies at the federal level if an organization, uh, an academic uh, organization is taking federal money. If something is private or just getting money from state or local or other sources, I don't believe, uh, they have to follow Title IX. Am, am I, I'm just, I'm not, um, an expert on this at all. Is that your understanding and maybe why they want to make this a state law?
6: Yeah, well, I think that's what we're looking at is just to understand the law better and understand, you know, how how it impacts women in, in sports and things along those lines, or in any in every opportunity. So, um, obviously, you and I need to take a class, Joan. <laughs> Amen
1: to that. So, you know, I'm going to dig yeah, out so, that what was that uh, from Schoolhouse Rock? I'm a Bill. I'm a Bill. I'm going to I'm going to get right, that right song.
4: Right, bill. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
6: No, and they, I love those ideas, you know. And again, so and, and and just you know, more stuff around mental health. I think is 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 sort of something else I'm looking at. Too. I mean, I love that police officer bill because again, we we sometimes don't realize the stress that the that are that our men and women in blue are under, and, and and what they're dealing with, and and really that they they need that support too. And hopefully, this allows them to do that again. The title nine stuff, and then you know, just some other little things here and there. i I'm, I'm looking at um you know I, I i'd like to i'm working on one other food allergy bill you're gonna love this one joan because I, I i i've gotten the reputation of the guy that runs all the food allergy bills so I'm <laughs> on, on on labeling labeling but you love this labeling for peanuts in, in in animal feed
1: why because if if animal if animals eat feed that has peanuts is it? Is there no, but meat? The
6: workers could be exposed. Oh. you know, people that that are around the food could be exposed to it. So not, it's not necessarily they're ingested by the animals, but like, you know, that, that you have people that work on farms that have peanut allergies. You know, you have pet owners that have peanut allergies, and it's funny. The guy that brought you is actually a farmer.
5: Huh. <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs>
4: um,
1: we need to. Like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, You dropped out there for a second, Paul. I don't know if it he, did. He drop out for the audience or was it just for my ear? Oh, it was everybody. OK, s- tell that story again about the guy you talked to because you started it and then not you job, went away I mean, I mean, and you I mean, came back. Job. Yes, I can hear you now.
6: Yep. The guy from you know,
4: our good friend. Nope.
1: Hang on. Hang on. Um, let's take a break. Um, I'm going to see if <clears throat> Paul can get a, a better connection with you. We're starting to uh, lose you a little bit. Uh, State Representative Jonathan Carroll is in the Ethernet. We're going to try desperately to pull him out of the Ethernet. We'll be right back after this.
0: Jonas Esposito, live, local and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Paul Shavari assures me that everything is just as wonderful as it could possibly be. We are now going to put huge pressure on State Representative Jonathan Carroll, who we are going to make to tell this story for a third time in hopes we can hear it this time around. Jonathan, go Uh, ahead.
6: Can you hear me now, Joan? Yes, uh, uh, you sound beautiful. Working here. Yes. We have our two tin cans and ropes, right? We're good to go. Yeah. Okay, so my friend Dan Swanson, a farmer from downstate, called me and he says, hey, he goes, I had a constituent come to me with with an idea that this person has a peanut allergy and they work on a farm and a lot of the animal feed has peanuts in it. And for this person's sake, they would like to see labeling for peanuts on animal feed. And I'm Hmm. like, yeah, let's do it. So we're going to look to do that too. So it's just some more food allergy substances. That's kind of a cool one. I'm actually kind of excited to see where that one goes.
4: That
1: is a, that is a cool one. And I can also, I don't know that there's any legislation that needs to come out of this, but I can also tell you that as somebody who has been trying to adhere to a gluten free regimen for, well, since I had cancer, um, I can tell you that You can't always like I know the kinds of things that make gluten. I read the you know, I'll read the ingredients and I'll even if it doesn't say gluten free or not gluten free, I can read the ingredients and and have a rough idea of whether or not this is something I can eat. But I discovered I read this book that was written by a woman who has celiac disease, which those are the people who, if they eat gluten, end up in the hospital or the emergency room. Um And she said that there are a number of foods that you wouldn't suspect. For instance, not all ice cream is gluten-free. And there's no way, looking at the labels, that you would know that. And there's actually an app you can download, and you can, like, take a picture of a product, scan it, and it'll pop up whether or not it has gluten in it. So people who think that, you know, we have... um This labeling that will tell you everything that's in a product that just it isn't quite as detailed as you might think it is. So this legislation is a really good idea. And I would like to see more of this kind of stuff. I know Europe really leads the way in telling us what's in something and also, you know, setting really strict rules about what can and can't be in certain foods. So I support you completely and totally in this work.
6: Well, thank you. And uh, my friend Dr. Gupta from uh, Northwestern is listening. She's uh, probably one of the foremost experts on food allergy safety, too. So um, she does great advocacy work in this area as well. Um, You'll be happy to know that last year I actually passed a bill that, that required gluten labeling on medication. And that was kind of cool because you know you don't think about these things, but you know you talk about the people with celiac disease that if they don't uh-huh. know gluten's in the medication. They remember, gluten is used often to kind of bind certain certain proteins together. That yeah, you know, I didn't know this either, and I ran the bill, and it's like it's like well, it's like people are reaching, you know, people are kind of like I thank you for doing this. So I'm like you know, again, you don't realize these things, and I and I like your point. So, Joan, you may have given me an idea. Maybe I'll do some more work with gluten. Maybe I'll have to. uh <laughs> Think of some creative ways to label for more gluten. I like it. Well,
1: you know, for me it's not it's not life or death. It just um I have some I have some bad reactions, but it's nothing it's nothing that's gonna send me to the hospital. But I know people with celiac disease and it's a nightmare. It's an absolute nightmare. Um yeah. Um You know, I mean, I've known one family that had a child that had severe celiac disease, and when they would go to a restaurant, the mom would actually ask to go back and see the kitchen so that, you know, like if they offered certain gluten-free food, she could make sure that there wasn't any cross-contamination, not using like the same countertops or the same cutting boards or the same knives because it was that serious for her kids. I mean, you know, for most of us, this will this kind of stuff is an annoyance. But for some people, it really is life or death, isn't it, Jonathan?
5: Yeah,
6: and and and, and it is, and and it's like you know, I remember you know, the reason I'm passionate about food allergies is my daughter's got a bunch of them. And as a parent, when like, you know, you go to the legislature, you kind of think about things, and you're going, there, I'm like, yeah, why are we doing this, this, and this? And I'm like, well, maybe we need to start doing laws around that. And I'm really proud of the the bipartisan efforts around food allergies. You know, it's nice to see it. You talk about issues we come together on. One of them is definitely on food allergy and food allergy safety. The gentleman who sent me the bill was a Republican. And when I run my food allergy bills, the Republicans, three or four of them like, that I would never expect will come up to me like, thank you for doing this. My, you know, my nephew has this allergy and we had no idea what to do. So there's a level of you know there's there's a great bipartisan issue. I mean, if you have food allergies, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, or whatever you want to call yourself, it's going to impact you. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to see people come together on that. And 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 my colleagues putting trust in me on this issue to when I generally run something, they know it's for a good reason. So um it's great to see those kinds of things. And I think as we've gone through the process, you know, again, of, of this area, we're learning more and more. And, and, you know, again, look, I have a daughter with, again, with severe food allergies. And, you know, I know when I go to a restaurant or when I, you know, when we go somewhere, I mean, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm hopeful that what she eats not going to cause her to be, you know, to have an infection. But, like, a great one, I always like to tell people, one of the great misnomers and foods are people say, well, M&M's don't have peanuts in them. It's only peanut m and Like, no, all M&M's have peanuts in them because they're in the shell. And how would you know that? Because the label on the back tells you that. Wow. And that was work of a lot of advocates that have gone on for many years to make sure there's labeling. And, and okay, I'm going to humble brag here, Joan. I'm, I'm going I'm to do this. So <laughs> in a few years ago, I passed a bill about sesame labeling in Illinois. And we were the first state in the country and one of, the, like, I think six or seven places in the world that required that. It is now the law of the land. And wow. so my bill helped inspire our, 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 our federal government to label for sesame. So, and of course, I tell my 12-year-old, like, hey, Brooke, listen, you changed the world. You helped with <laughs> sesame labeling. Like, yeah, that's great, Dad. What's the Wi-Fi? <Yeah>. <laughs> but it, it's really neat that I've been able to work on that, and, and, and really I think it's it, it's something I'm so proud of. And, you know, we talk about things that Illinois is the leader on, like, you know, pro-choice, you know, hopefully with the criminal justice, and food allergies, is another one. We're doing incredible things around food allergy safety in this state, and it's really a credit to advocates that came before me and the ability of of someone like me to communicate with my other colleagues on why these are important, and, and I'm really super proud of that.
1: I want to I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, but I know that, you know, schools use of quiet rooms to handle kids, particularly kids with learning disabilities or ADHD or other problems that cause them to act out more. That's been a big thing that you have been paying attention to. I recently have just started reading in New York. The new mayor, Eric Adams, has um told the police that if uh, so, if they run into somebody out on the streets who uh, seems to be mentally ill, that the police can now on an involuntary basis basically bring them in and lock them up, not in a jail, in a medical facility, but still that kind of, you know, and I was reading it and on the surface, it seems like, well, you know, if, you know, if somebody seems to be a danger, you know, you maybe you're helping them out. But I was reading a lot of stories about what activists say about it. And I read one young woman's first person account of she had been um sent to a medical facility involuntarily when she was younger and how. How it affected her and how it scarred her. But what do you do about this? Well, you know, we've all run into these people, um, that appear to be, appear to be without housing and appear to be detached from reality. And you always wonder, you know, are they a danger to themselves? Are they a danger to me? And what do we do about it? Somehow involuntary, um, hospitalization doesn't seem like the answer, but I don't know what the answer is.
5: Well, and what I'm going to say is that I'm a person that loves animals, so don't, I have to disclaim what I'm about to say as a person who loves
6: animals, but at times we've seen, we we seem to care more about how animals are treated than our mentally ill. And the way we've dealt with mental illness in this country for a very long time has been to kind of ignore it or kind of brush it aside or, you know, find ways of of, of just not talking about the elephant in the room. Well, I think we're getting past that point. We're seeing that mental health now is really just creeping into so many different aspects of life. And, and you hear, you know, the you know, of course the the, the pro gun people, the ones who are gonna fight us on Rep Morgan's bill and say like, Oh, well it's a mental health issue And my response to them is like, Yes, absolutely. If you're gonna go in and, and commit a crime or do something like that, obviously there's some mental things we need to talk about. But where's the funding for it? Where's the respect for people with mental mental illness? And it's and I think one of the challenges is because people can't see it or hold it or touch it or you know again like you see someone with a limp or you see someone you know who's injured you can see it. We can't do that with mental health. And and that's and, and you know, I mentioned earlier the mental health that I was talking about doing with law enforcement. One of the biggest challenges we have with law enforcement is a lot of them are very resistant to mental health treatment. And so you have all these things with mental health where you have the stigma in place for it. You have sort of a lack of understanding on it. And then you do something like this where, you know, you're potentially, you know, hospitalizing someone for something that, that may not necessarily be the case. It's a very scary. The mental health stuff is is, is is always very scary for me because from a standpoint of people don't understand it. People assume like, oh, you know, just deal with it. And it's like it, it's it's deeper than that. And if we look at, you know, to your point, look at some of the homeless population, look at some of the people that, that that you know don't have housing or don't have those things. I mean, a majority of those people are dealing with some sort of mental health issue.
4: Not mm-hmm.
6: say a majority, but I say a large number of them are dealing with or mental or
1: substance health abuse.
6: Right, and 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 we have ignored that for so long and just locked people up. And you know, the answer is, you know, but let's go, you know, back to the first part of our conversation. The safety Act. We were locking people in jail for. Uh, Your substance abuse. And as my friend, Commissioner Scott Britton would like to tell me, and he says it all the time, is that, you know, Cook County Jail is the number one mental health provider in Cook County. It's like, how is that possible? How is it possible in 2023 that our number one mental health provider is jail? I mean, it, 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 it pains me to say that. Yeah. It really me even say that to you, Joan. It's that like we, we treat mental health like it's like it's a secondary thing. So when you hear stuff like that, it breaks my heart. Because if we're able to get people the right treatment and we're able to get people the right medications and we're able to get people what they need we can see a change in that, and instead, of what we do is we just we put a bandaid on an axe when we throw them in jail, and hope that the jails will sort it out. Or what you were talking about with New York, the same things like hospitalizing people against their will, hospitalizing people like that. It's like because it's 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 kicking the can down the road. As opposed to actually solving the problem and and I you know and I, and I you know and, and I deal with mental health you know away from the legislature, and I see this all the time where it's like people treat mental health like it's just one of those things that you have to toughen up and deal with, and when you try to Try to get more services for people. The resistance there is incredible, and I'll tell you this too, Joe. I get now you got me on a tangent.
4: <laughs> we have a
6: real shortage of psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers in the state. We have a real shortage of that nationally, and you know people can't even even those people that that, that have the resources can't even get them to see
5: people. So what about those yeah. people that don't?
1: I know
6: it, it's.
5: Theory. and and well
1: we will have to work on this problem in the coming year I'm sure we can solve it Jonathan we're two very bright okay. and passionate and determined people we will put our heads together and come up with something
5: yeah absolutely but I think that's you know we talk about the frontiers
6: and one frontier is let's let's have a better let's have a more equitable criminal justice system in other words like, yeah. let's
5: actually have an equitable mental health system too
1: uh hey talking to the you're preaching to the choir here uh jonathan thank you so much for joining me today on this holiday uh for at least some people uh, and um let's uh let's plan to speak regularly in the coming year and i'd love to hear yeah, your will. thoughts on what's going on
6: i will and if i hear anything about Pre- vice president harris i will i will let you know let
1: me know thank you <laughs> that's right. going to do it Bye. for me uh driving it home with petty vasquez is next i will see you tomorrow at two o'clock Stay safe. I'll see you then. Good
4: night.